Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hey, Eric. Hello, Ward. This is going to be a cool one today. It is. Uh, did you know that we are powered by... Peaks! I thought you did. Yeah, I think our Peaks listeners are going to be excited uh, about A- anybody, today's Look, the truth is, we've had... I mean, we're talking to Indiana legends. We got to talk to a basketball legend in Jeff Van Gundy. And now we kind of get somebody who combines both. Huge right. mass appeal. If you're just a sports fan then you will know her, and if you're an Indiana fan, you will love her. And I can't wait to make this happen. And I got to say, none of these would be possible without the fact that we're partnered with Peaks. It so legitimizes us. Yeah, which we need like, legitimizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's it's still once they actually listen to us, they'll be like, oh, wait. If people saw our setup, they would be like, I'm listening to these two morons. Yeah, they're, I mean, we could tell them what we're looking at right now. I but mean, let's not. It's w- most likely asbestos. Ah, uh, you know yeah, what? Maybe there the was, walls. No, I, I. You stripped it. I stripped the asbestos from inside the house. Oh, good. I didn't see any in here. I think we're okay. Okay, good. Uh, well, that said, let's get at it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Hysterics Nation. Wow, this is a special <laughs> one. This is a special one. You might have heard her giggle there, Eric. Tell, tell the people at home who we have here with us today. We have a graduate of Carmel High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Go Greyhounds. <laughs> we have a graduate of Indiana University, <laughs> class of 1995. We have the commencement speaker for the class of 2015 at Indiana University. We have what I would argue is the face of ESPN Sports Center, who anchors the flagship show for the worldwide leader, we have one of the most recognizable IU alumni. Ward and I were talking about this before. We couldn't think of maybe Mark Cuban. But other than that, I think we've got the most recognizable IU alum. On Earth. On Earth. Please welcome. Oh, my welcome, God. <laughs> please welcome Sage Steele. 
Uh, you guys, that 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 intro is amazing. I'm not supposed to cry at this time of the day, or I mean, I always cry at least once a day. I didn't think it'd be this early. That's good. Well, but are you and crying? Honestly, but are the you? The fact that you guys said all that and that you're talking about me sometimes is still surreal. Uh, here's the question: though. Are you crying because of what we said, or because you are just tired? <laughs> no, I promise you, it's because of what you said. The exhaustion thing is just a, a permanent thing now. I think. Here's the thing: I. I, I just sometimes can't believe that that's me <laughs> because um, when I transferred from, I no, not many people know this, transferred from IUPUI, I started IUPUI in 1990 after graduating from Carmel. Um, I, I was 17. I had just moved to Indiana a year prior to begin my senior year, not fun, and then was overwhelmed. My grades went south. And so the first year I just stayed home. And then transferred to Bloomington in uh, fall of 91, never even having stepped foot on campus before, ever. And so I can't believe that it's turned into this and that you you guys refer to me as one of the most recognizable IU alum because it, it, it's, it's still a dream to me, even though I'm really old and it's been, you know, it's been a few years since I graduated, but it is just awesome to hear that. I, I, please don't think I take that lightly. Well, it's, it's something where it, it is a source of pride for all of us who love Indiana, who love sports, who grew up loving Sports Center, and I definitely had my daydreams through high school of being on Sports Center. <laughs> so you're the Indiana kid. I'm from Peru, just up Highway 31 there. You're the Indiana kid who went out and achieved all those dreams. And it's every time we see you up there, I think all of Indiana Nation is like, there's there's an Indiana girl, and we know you got there late in high school, but you're still full Hoosier. You 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 were there for <laughs> high school, and obviously you're in Bloomington, so we take full pride in your success. Uh, it is nice to actually be claimed by somebody. Does that sound strange? No, I get when you, it. When you grow up like as, as an army kid, and all you do is move, 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 and which I wouldn't change for the world. It was actually awesome. But I, people always say, "Where are you from?" And they've always said, "Where are you from?" And for so many years, I was like, "Well, I don't really know," <laughs> you know. And I, I, because I, I didn't have a place really to call home, but because of Bloomington, honestly, um, and then just how my love has continued to grow for it and for the campus and for the students and just everything about IU. Now I'm like, that's my home. And it's really nice to finally not be homeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, Ward mentioned something and I want to go back to it. Ward talked about how he in high school and as a kid had some daydreams about, you know, being a sports center anchor. Your career as an ESPN sports center anchor started. I think when you were 12 years old, correct? Yeah, that's when I announced, well, my career, right? Yeah, that's when I announced to my family that this is what I wanted to do. I think at the time I, I just said, um, you know, sports broadcaster on TV um, because this was 1984. And I'm older than all you guys. I hate you all. Not this that is much. Not by much. You don't have me beat by much, Sage. <laughs> and I think it, actually, so I was 11 going on 12 and watching the Olympic Games from the house that we just moved into in Colorado Springs. And, and I knew I would never be a good enough athlete or anything to play past like high school, if I were even lucky high school. And so why the second best thing would be to talk about it and to be around it. And ESPN was in its infancy stages then for sure. And I know that we couldn't afford cable, so we probably didn't watch it then. But um, then when I moved to Indiana, of course, in 89, and then in Bloomington, I mean, that's what we did every morning. I, I, I did go to most of my classes. However, <laughs> uh, um, we can probably, all of us sports fans can probably identify with 
skipping out here or there, you know, just from being up so late studying maybe. Yeah. And, and then watching that 1 a.m. version that was just on replay until the next afternoon. How many times did we sit there and watch reruns of SportsCenter, you know? Too, too, too many. many. Yeah. Fell asleep to it, woke up to it. Dan Patrick, Craig <laughs> Kilborn, Keith Oberman, that was... Well, it was really the, the era... Best. It was the era that really turned... You know, when I was a kid, and I'm sure, Sage, you have this same thing before ESPN, your only connection to sports was your local sports anchor. You know, for me, it yeah. was Mike Bush in St. Louis, Missouri. And, you know, you would get it for about what, four or five, maybe four minutes within a half an hour broadcast, you know, a half an hour news broadcast. And then SportsCenter yep. and ESPN turned sportscasting into superstars. They became the stars. And I idolized those guys. I loved them. Sage, I'm trying to remember. Me too. Who... And, and by the way, Mark Patrick. Yes, Mark Patrick. Um, That's who I was, wanted to talk yes. to you about. Please go ahead. Yeah, so he was my idol, um, and also at Wish TV, Dick Ray, who was the best and the kindest soul. Dick Ray, Vince Welch, Mark Patrick. I ended up, after I graduated in 95, interning at Wish, and so I was with those guys, and, you know, Mark Patrick was a sports director. At Channel 6, it was Ed Sorensen. Yes. Do you guys remember Ed Sorensen? Absolutely. Yeah. And do you know who I saw in the, where was I? Oh, I, okay. I was in the media center at the Masters last week and I saw Fred Khalil. Do you guys remember that name in Indy? I don't know. I guess I you're from St. Louis. I remember Fred. Yeah. So for all those older Hoosiers listening, um, I mean, it was, and then Dave Calabro came when I started sure. to work at Wish, when I came back to actually work there. I, I went to South Bend for uh, 15 months for my first job and then got the weekend morning sports anchor job at Wish in 97 when they expanded to weekend mornings and needed a, you know, a really cheap sports anchor. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> they I was found like, it. you want me to work for free? Of course. I basically was free. Um, and, and that was under Mark Patrick. Tell you. I, I um, always wow. thought. So I'm, I'm starting to write a book and, and that's going to be part Ooh. of my book is, is that first part at Wish TV because it was juicy. Well, <laughs> I, I always thought Mark Patrick should have been on SportsCenter. He just had the perfect level of charm and humor and and I went down and interviewed him once in high school for my public access channel, and all he did was make fun of me the whole time. It was great. <laughs> He's he was brilliant, and to your, I mean, his voice, um, yeah, his his is charm the word? Like to me, it's kind of like his his smartassery. Yeah. was his his forte. But he was so talented, and I don't know why he never did because I think I think he could have. I mean, but his. His roots were there and in the Midwest. Um, but the, I, how how is it that that was twenty? Oh, I know. God, mm -hmm. I know. Twenty plus years ago. It's too many. It, it hurts. Anyway, so let's before <laughs> I I, I want to get into to your career really taking off. But before we get there, I want to go back to your childhood because you grew up in a sports family. To say the least, your father not only played sports, but we we hear this phrase a lot. Uh, with your father, it is true. He literally changed the game. He was the first African-American to play football at West Point. I, I'm curious, growing up, yeah. did knowing what your father accomplished, did that put any pressure on you and your siblings to achieve more, to, to, to strive harder? What was it like growing up in that household? It did not put any extra pressure on us because we didn't know. <laughs> he made sure that it just was never talked about. There was no such thing as the internet either. So, so we, we had no clue. 
Um, it, there's actually a couple of cool pieces that have been done since then. Um, one of them I helped produce at ESPN. They came to me and said, you know, for, for Veterans Day and Black History Month, I think it was a combination of both, which can we feature your father? And I was like, what? And my, I said it to my dad and he said, no, absolutely not. And he wouldn't do it. Well, I, listen, I might be 46 years old, but I'm still his little girl. And I was like, daddy, come on. And so <laughs> he, I convinced him and long story short, those pieces, um, kind of go back and, and tell his story a little I learned more about my dad um, through people at IU, like, um, at, well, it ended up being Bob Knight and, and people like Lee Corso, who Harold Morrow, one of the oldest associate athletic directors at IU, um, I interned under my, my, my senior year, my fifth year, and, and, and he knew Lee Corso, and Lee Corso coached at Navy when my dad was at Army, and so he put me on the phone with Lee Corso. And, and, my, and Lee Corso is the one that said, your dad was one of the greatest players I ever saw. And Bob Knight and Bill Parcells was one of my dad's plebe freshman coaches when he was at West Point. And, the, and then I met Bill Parcells once I got to ESPN. So I had to learn about my dad through others because he was so humble and didn't, didn't think, he's like, what does that have to do with being a father? What does that have to do with being a man and being an army officer? Nothing. I had a really good you know, career at West Point, actually drafted by the Detroit Lions in 1970, I guess, in the 17th round, back when they had 17 wow. rounds, <laughs> even though they knew he had to fulfill his five-year military obligation, they drafted him anyway. So um, we never knew. So there was no pre there was pressure in other ways mm -hmm. because as a West Point graduate, there's certain expectations. I mean, we we'd have room inspections every Saturday morning, just like he was at West Point. And I was the oldest of three. I guess I still am. They're still here. I'm still here. Uh, two younger brothers. And, and so we, we'd have these room inspections where he'd knock on the door twice. We'd open the door. We'd have to salute. He'd go through the whole thing like he was back at West Point. So um, the expectations were very high in other ways, um, academically, of course, uh, but then um, just socially and, and how you treat others, how you are able to talk to adults. Your handshake is something we practiced a lot. Eye contact, um, accountability, like just all of these basic principles that I think um, society needs a little bit more of again. So yeah. um, it was it, it was cool to learn later though from these greats. And can I tell you my Bob Knight story real quick? Yes, please. It is so cool. So I, you know, I've been, I grew up a Duke fan. Oh, if you can believe it. Sage, <laughs> I know, I know, sage. I know. Don't hang up. It's our shortest <laughs> podcast <hang> ever. <laughs> go on. This but is a story of why. redemption. It's, go ahead. Yeah, you know it's going to end well. Exactly. <laughs> so um, one of my dad's classmates at West Point was Mike Krzyzewski. And so they, I mean, they talk about bonding at West Point when everybody's, you know, being <laughs> like borderline tortured. And I, and I totally kid when I say that. But, you know, it's a different environment than, than IU Bloomington College campus. Um, and so he and Coach K, good friends, stayed in touch back at West Point in like 1974-ish. He was one of the freshman football coaches and Coach K was back there coaching as well um, as an assistant. He ended up being, of course, an assistant for Bob Knight, as we know. But I grew up under Coach K because that's my dad's buddy. I mean, pretty sure he changed one of my diapers back in the day. Not, not a good visual here. <laughs> but like, and, and then when I graduated from Carmel High School, I got, I got a gift from Coach K. Um, it was that Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, just talking about success. And, and then I, when I graduated or when I got married, he sent me a, a gift. So I grew up and, I mean, my mother was determined to have me marry Grant Hill. So, 
And we're like, Mom, stop. And so he's like, she's like, Gary, why haven't you called Mike yet? Give Mike a call. Sage and Grant, they'd make beautiful tall babies. Come on. I'm like, Mom, stop it. My God. Um, so Grant and I are friends now. And he, and he's already, and it's pretty hysterical. Fortunately, <laughs> I, <laughs> nothing I, funky, but it, it was funny years later to hear the story and to tell Grant that. I, I just think you and Calbert Cheney would make a much nicer, <laughs> more beautiful couple if we're going that way. I but. totally I totally agree. And I was obsessed with Calvert Chain. I moved in to Varsity Villas in 1993. Wow. And, and Calvert Chaney was moving out of Varsity Villas. And I was devastated. I'm like, oh, to, to say, I, so I did for like a week. I said I was neighbors with Calvert Chaney. I mean, of course. The who, best who wouldn't week say of, that? Right? The best week of your life. The best week in my five years at IU. So anyway, so long story short, my, I mean, it, it was just. It was it was Duke because of the, the the Coach K connection, and so then fast forward to my fifth year, I was um, I would obviously through losing to them in the '92 Final Four, I obviously was just still devastated from that and hated Duke since then. Um, sorry, Steel family, like done. And I was walking through the hallways at Assembly Hall because, um, like I said, I was interning there for Harold Morrow, and I see Bob Knight and Norm Ellenberger and Dan Dockich and everybody walking down the ramp. And I was like, oh, my God, there he is. I'd always wanted to ask Coach Knight if he remembered who my dad was because this is, you know, 25-plus years later, almost 30 years later. And so I built, I built up the courage, and I took a deep breath, and I said a little prayer. And I walked over, and I said, you know, in my squeaky, hi, <laughs> girlish voice, hi, um, hi, Coach Knight, can I ask you a question? And he just stopped, and he looked at me, and he's like, sure. And I'm like, okay. And so he walked over to me. He put his arm around me. And of course, I was talking a million miles a minute, which is still a problem on national TV. And I and I said, I just wanted to know if you if you remembered who my dad is. And he goes, Well, how am I supposed to know who's your dad? And I said, Well, his name is Gary Steele, and he played at West Point, played football when you were there. He stopped me mid sense. He goes, Gary Steele, six foot six inches, two hundred twenty pounds. Tight end from Levittown, Pennsylvania, Manliest Prep School, the greatest goddamn athlete at Army has ever seen. Yeah, I know who Gary Steele is. And Whoa. I was like, I, I'm like, what? I just First got goosebumps. Fall, you know. Oh, I know. So this is in 1995. My dad graduated in 1970. And he knew his height, his weight, his position, his hometown, prep school, and said that he was one of the greatest athletes to ever play any sport there. And my jaw hit the ground because, again, pre-internet, where, where, you know, I, I wasn't aware of my dad's stats or greatness. And so um, we started chatting, and he's like, well, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm a student in broadcasting. And I, he's like, oh, great, another one of <laughs> your reporters coming along. Um, <laughs> and, and then so we chatted, and then all the coaches were waiting, and he's like, well, nice to meet you. If you ever need anything, you know where to find me. You know where my assistant is. And he's like, can you tell your dad hi? And I'm like, okay, thank you, coach. And I started, to, and he walked out the door, and I started to run over to the payphone to call my dad collect, to say, dad, guess what? He remembers you. And as I was dialing, I hear, hey. And I look back and it was Coach Knight. He goes, ask your dad, what the hell kind of name is Sage? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, okay, sure. Of course, I'm like, and then he gave me a wink and he walked away. And it was the most, it was the most, I don't know, memorable, important, awesome moment <laughs> of my five years because, I mean, Indiana basketball is one of the reasons why I went to IU and to have Knight, this legend, who back in the day, my, my dad hated 
because he, he screamed at him. My dad would go hang out with the basketball players before, you know, um, in between football stuff. And they'd be, you know, just hanging out in the gym. And my dad, I mean, he's a big guy. He'd go up and he'd dunk and he'd hang on the rim. And one time he did that and night walked in. He's like, steal, get your, I mean, bleepity bleep bleep yeah. bleep. And so my dad's memories of Coach Knight back in his younger days, I mean, this is in the mid, like, you know, 65, 66, 67, were of Coach Knight screaming at him and hating on him. And all those years later, it was it was really special. And I think my dad was like, wow, he, he remembered me. So sorry, long-winded answer. That's not a very good television soundbite for you. But that is my, I mean, that is why um, he is still quite special to me. And I got to spend some time with him when he worked at ESPN um, and Indiana basketball as a whole. And, you know, just the overall meaning of sports and, and what it can do for your life. It obviously has affected my life from the beginning. Wow. that That is just an incredible, incredible story. I it, think we would be remiss not to ask when he came back on campus here a couple weeks ago. You know, what did, did what, you see that story, Sage? Oh, I, I saw and I, I think I retweeted it. I, I had to watch it 10 times. I was in shock. Yeah. Yeah. What, it, it what was did it really, do to you? What did what did it make you feel when you saw that that video or that story? Um, it made me it made me, of course, happy to see him there. But I was sad because it took so long for him to do it. And listen, it took two to get into the mess that we were in with him and with the decisions by the administration. I mean, who can deny that? Both sides could have done a lot different. Um, it's funny, though. Like, now that I'm <laughs> in my old age, I'm like, I'm trying to think about, I think about things differently and just finding the good in every situation and the happiness and being more forgiving. Because there's a lot of things that have happened in my career that still are, are quite hurtful. Um, and, you know, amongst the awesomeness, there's a, it's a roller coaster life is, right? And so when I think about how much he has harbored that resentment and that anger, um, when you know some of the people aren't even around, most of them. It really breaks. Yeah, yeah. It breaks breaks my heart that he has held this in for so long. I think that's what stands out the most to me. So, what the other reason why it made me sad is because I thought, why, why now? And I don't know this, but I'm guessing that he realizes the end is not that far away for him. He's not in good health, um, and and. Maybe there's that soft spot, spot in his heart, which I know has always been there, just from my little encounter with him and putting his arm around me and what he said and what he did and the smile. And, and, and frankly, much more importantly, what players like Calvert Chaney and all those guys have said from day one, there's a reason why they love him. So how about the fact that nobody ever during, you know, when he was being criticized and, and you know, during and after the firing, um, when, when it was... You know, all negative, and no one ever wanted to talk about what he did for the university. And not that the criticism wasn't warranted, because it absolutely was with him. I, I'm not one of those people that's like, die hard, he can do no wrong. Absolutely not. That's That would be irresponsible. But the millions he donated to the library, so much they did for others that he didn't ever want anyone to know about, because that's not why he did it. He did it because it was the right thing, not to have media talk about it or anyone else. So he, he I, I think made... it's because he's towards the end. Well, and he constantly made visits also to hospitals, which is never, never talked about. But that was like a weekly thing for him. And see if 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 you guys felt this at all. To me, there's there's family, right? There's the Indiana family. And he's our grandfather. He's our uncle. We grew up 
with him as a member. He's in our household. He's you know, the patriarch of the know, family. He's the patriarch yeah. of the family. And with family, it can be complicated. It can be messy. It's not always happy and warm and fuzzy. But to see him come back, it just felt like the family was back together, even if for a day. Yeah, I agree. It was interesting that he chose, you know, baseball. Um, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I know um, when I was back a few years ago and Chris Reynolds was still there and, and you know, he when they were trying to, to get Coach back for the big reunion, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and he just couldn't. That saddened so many people but didn't shock many, obviously, because they know who he is. But I just really hope and pray that he has been able to soften in his heart and to forgive and there's so much more good than bad. And I think in life, he's a, you know what? He's a great lesson. And um, in, uh, I hate to say it, but honestly, how, how not to do it for right. these last 19 years. Yeah, he's a Greek because tragedy. He's a Greek tragedy. I mean, he, he's... He is. And I mean, through all the greatness, to not be able to let go of that in your heart um, it's funny. I saw, gosh, years ago, I don't know where I was going with NBA. I saw, um, oh, you know what? I was going to the, to the, th- it was the first time Kevin Durant was playing back in Oklahoma city. Mm-hmm. And, and I was at an airport and I was getting on a flight with Pat Knight and mm-hmm. I went over and introduced myself because I had never met him officially. I think I had once and it, and it ends up, I mean, he was my neighbor at Jackson Heights at one point um, during our, and those were fun years. Yeah. Wow, years when Pat Knight was my neighbor. <laughs> but I remember, you know, you know, I hesitated for introduce myself and he's like, and he's like, uh, hello, I know who you are. I'm like, really? Oh my God. Like, oh yeah, ESPN. I got all excited. Um, and, and I, I was, I hesitated, but I was like, how's your dad? And he just kind of, you know, he didn't say much and I certainly wasn't prying, but I wanted him to know. I mean, there's just so many people on so many levels that, love him even though I didn't know him know him and care for what he did I think it's you know again really tough to be Bob Knight's son for all those years as we all know but I just hope that he can have some peace um and 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 look more at the positive because Indiana University in every aspect would not be what it is without Bob Knight so true amen it's funny we recently uh talked to Jeff Van Gundy on the podcast a colleague of yours yes love and and, uh, he was great and he talked about uh, he talked about all the great coaches that he has, you know, had the pleasure and honor of working with or working under or or just observing. And he talked about Coach Knight and he went to Coach Knight's coaching clinic. And one of the things that he kind of connected all the great coaches with was just this inability to accept anything less than the best. And clearly, yes. Coach Knight had this just insatiable appetite for excellence. Perfection. Yeah, in and that's what he strived for in everything. And I will say, yeah. Ward and I have talked about this a little bit. I do think that that mindset that did not allow him to accept anything less than what he thought was perfection is also that yeah. same thing that didn't allow him to let go of the hatred and the hurt that he had. It's that yeah. same drive. And the shame of it is, as with everything with Coach Knight, it is so complicated because what drove him to be great is probably also what drove him to be petty. And yeah. and you can't have one without the other, it seems. At least in him, you couldn't. And that's a real shame, because like you said, it led to you know, 19 years of pain. And uh, 
And as with everything, again, with Coach Knight, it's complicated. And it was great to see him back on campus. But he's clearly in a diminished state, which is which is For very sure. sad. And again, it's complicated because we don't really know. Is it 100% of him knowing the significance of coming back to the Indiana University campus? Or is it something else? And is it just like something that he was there to do on a Saturday with a friend of his? So, you know, I, I think when you mentioned his, his, his expectations and everything, um, yes, that is what that is why Indiana basketball for so long was. I mean, it was upper echelon. It was it was the example um, and legendary. And, and and, you know, hey, we're trying to get back there. Right. But I mean, hmm. he established those expectations and it, it, it stems from his upbringing, of course. And listen, once you're at West Point, that's a game changer. And you can ask Coach K because as much as Hoosiers don't love Duke, we better respect Duke mm-hmm. and, and respect what they've been able, able to do and what he has been able to do. And his roots come from West Point as well. And so it, you could see it. You know, I had a different perspective on him because I knew about his – a little more about his history, uh, not him in particular, but just what it, what it's, what it takes to be – at the United States Military Academy and what those expectations are. And so the little things at IU, which a different era for sure, but I, gosh, I, I, to this day, if I were coaching something, I'd still hold kids to these standards because, you're, you know, wh- whether it's facial hair, haircut, mm-hmm. shirt tucked in, no name on the back of your jersey because it's about the team, not the person. All of those things um, are what made us great. And I, I will, you know, so people ask me all the time still, and I'm sure you guys get it, right? Well, I don't know, Coach Knight and, and all the stuff and the headbutting and the kicking and the screaming, the technicals and the chairs. And you know what? Great. Everybody's got something. And I would like, I would now love to challenge people and say, okay, give, talk about those things, not perfect, and look at the state of college basketball and college sports today yes. and what the true you know, dramas are and all of the negativities and all the scandals. Yes. That's what I want to hear about because that you talk about next level and some of the things that have gone on and I won't even mention the programs because I'll get in trouble. Oh, I'll do it. We we all know <laughs> the real yeah, the real the real issues. And so give me a break. Yeah, would you rather somebody who was overly passionate at times, but man, his kids and guess what? What was his graduation rate when they were here? I mean, come on. I, I can't even go there with people. I, I totally I mean look, the bottom line is would you rather have a coach that goes a little overboard yelling and cussing and maybe grabs your shirt and gets a little angry, or would you rather have a coach that is okay with boost arranging for prostitutes to sleep with recruits that are 17 years old coming on campus. Thank you. <laughs> which one? Which one would you rather have? I, well, I think it's pretty I, easy. I, I know. <laughs> as, as we're all parents here, I think we know where we'd rather send our kids. Uh, but let's let's take it back to, to your time in Bloomington as an undergrad, because I think virtually every listener of ours, we all have that tie that binds. Being undergrads in Bloomington, you decided to go down there. You had mentioned that Indiana basketball had something to do with that. Now, between the telecommunication school and the basketball program, your love of sports at an early age, why did you choose IU? What was your game plan when you got down there, and how did you start going about living your best Bloomington life? <laughs> I like that, my best Bloomington life. Well, okay, so in all honesty, um, my plan originally was to go to the University of Colorado Boulder. Hmm. We had moved from Colorado Springs, you know, August of leading into my senior year. I moved to Carmel High School and I was supposed to go to Lawrence Central High School um, because 
Fort Benjamin Harrison was the army post there in Indianapolis. And they, they made a mistake and didn't have housing for us on post. So they said, okay, go for a year, rent a house somewhere. You know, of course, the, the, the military will cover a portion of your rental costs if you can't live on, on post. Um, and then come back in a year and, and we'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll go to my, my brothers, then you get, they'll go to Lawrence Central. So my parents just had a couple of friends and asked around and said, what's the best, um, what's the best school, what's the best high school area to, to go to at, based on academics and sports. And so it was Carmel High School. Um, and, and again, from there, uh, it just was so tough being a senior. All those kids have been together since my senior, since kindergarten. And here I am walking into Carmel, um, looking a little bit different from all the people in Carmel. <laughs> and it was just, it was a really, really, really tough year. There was a lot of good times, tons of good people there, but there were a couple of things that happened that just really, you know, changed my life in many ways. And I wouldn't change it, but it was a tough year. So my grades fell and I, 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 I didn't even apply anywhere because I was, I was, I was embarrassed to get no's. I mean, I was really scared, but gone from being a really good student to just being pretty devastated. And I was really shy, so I didn't have that many friends. Um, the track team helped, but it's funny because I, you know, they're like, oh, good. I mean, they're always good in every sport there, right? But so yeah. I come in and they see, you know, the black girl coming on the track team, like, oh, we're going to win state now. <laughs> and, then I, and then I got to my got to practice and they're like, Oh, never mind. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> so I remember going to like North Central and some of these other high schools for, for meets and, and those girls were like, what are you doing over there? And then it was just this whole crazy time. Anyway, just a tough year and I survived and I didn't, I just didn't apply anywhere. And so then, um, IUPUI is right there. Um, and I was able to live at home as we moved on to Fort Bend. And again, I was 17 when I graduated, so I, I was really young anyway. And I, I just was like, what am I going to do? Get the grades up and try to transfer somewhere. Um, and then in November of 1990, um, I, was, I, I called a girlfriend who actually, her parents were stationed together in Panama, where I was born in 1972. <laughs> and so she was at Notre Dame. And a freshman there, and she and we chatted, and she's like, well, why don't you come up for a weekend and hang out? And I was like, okay. And so I drove, and I went up for a Notre Dame-Penn State football weekend. Both were, I think, ranked top five. And that was the first time I realized what I was missing out on by not being on a, a, a true college campus. IUPUI at the time was pretty much, you know, 99% commuter. And so that's when I went, oh, my God, I got I to gotta change it. I, I got to do something. So I went home, and I told my parents, and, and they said, okay, well, um, here are your choices. IU, Purdue, Ball State, IUPUI. Like, we, you're not getting any scholarships here. We're in a military salary. We have three kids. So those are your choices. In-state tuition is what we can afford. And, Colorado and, was out of the picture at that point. Yeah. And, and, and when they give you those options, there really is no choice. There's only one choice in that exactly. case. Exactly. I, I mean, was like, the, have like, you what? been to Lafayette? That's not going to happen. I, I hadn't <laughs> at the time. I was there probably six or seven years ago. And God, that was, again, no brainer decision. And I hadn't even been there at the time. At the time. Yeah. So the key is I had to, I had to fill out my inter campus transfer form and do it all. But the, the, the reason why it was perfect, besides the obvious reason, um, is that they had a major, a brand new major, sports communication. And it, you could choose print or broadcast. And again, I was 11, 12 years old when I announced what I was doing. So to me, it was perfect. So I hadn't even been to campus before when I filled out my transfer form and completed the process. Um, and so, I mean, that's how it happened, kind of by accident, even though I don't, I don't believe that anything happens by accident at the time. Though, you know, it's 
I would have gone to CU Boulder. That's where all my friends were from Colorado. But once you lose your in-state tuition to any school, that wasn't happening. And what a blessing to have it happen this way. But it was because of the major. Once I got there, the major really was in its infancy, and it wasn't great. I did not get much time in the telecom school or in, you know, using the equipment. I got a little bit of time on the set. Well, I don't even remember where it was at this point. I think it was Radio TV Building, which was this tiny, tiny facility, compared to now where it is spectacular. And when I recommend to students and parents to go check it out, I do so (laughs) genuinely, to say the least, because the facilities are insane and the people, the program is awesome. I'm so, so, so proud of it. But at the time, there wasn't enough, but I didn't care because it was exactly what I wanted to do. And so it worked out and I struggled there and I ended up again being there for the, I mean, including IUPUI the five years. Um, but my time there, I mean, I stayed in McNutt. I remember my yes. parents which, dropping which McNutt? me off in McNutt. Which McNutt? I was, I was McNutt crone. Yes. My crone sister. That's fantastic. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh yeah. You know, they're shutting it down now because of mold. What? Yeah. They're going to have Stop. to tear down. What do you mean shut it down? They might have to tear it down to the ground. Like burn it. Oh my god. They might have. Isn't that sad? Yeah. I we just we were back in December and found out it's like hazmat suit territory in McNutt. Okay, that's terrible. By the way, I will say this. Do you, you guys were too young when I was there in so that was the end of the first semester in 91. So this is December of 91. Um half of our floor burned down. Really? Wow. Yeah, did someone you, said it on. Did you it start the fire? Prank. No, no, Billy Joel. I did not start the fire. Um, <laughs> half of the, it was, you know, I guess there was some prank, and people would. We had Christmas decorations up, and some guy snuck on our floor, and like you light up the the decorations that are framing your door. Yeah, and it just got out of hand, and literally we were on CNN the next morning. I mean, there was nothing left of half of my floor. <laughs> It was like, it was insane. Yeah. So we almost died. And then the universe acted like it didn't happen and they didn't believe us. And so we're going to, to, we had to go to finals the next morning. It was a Sunday night with like eyebrows singed off of our faces. And like, it was, (laughs) it was insane. So I have a t-shirt that I just saw last night. And of course, back then girls wore like everything to XL, like double XL. Now (laughs) girls wear like, you know, six-year-old t-shirts and everything's hanging out. Back then we always wanted to wear your clothes, right? I have a t-shirt that says, if you can't stand the heat, get off Crone too. <laughs> now this is this is crazy because I got there in '96. I'm on Crone three, and I'm in my room watching television, and there's a pounding on the door, and it's my pledge brother Gerard, and his room is on fire. Oh my god! So he and I, and like, like the problem is, guys, all semester have been pulling the fire alarm late on a Friday night as a prank. So nobody's leaving. Everybody's staying in their room, even though he's pulled the fire alarm. I was elected fire marshal for the floor. (laughs) So he and I first start to try to put out the fire. I leave him with the fire extinguisher. I have to go back into my room and save my bearded dragon first. And then at this point, the smoke is starting to fill the hallways. So I have to go around and pound on each door to to get everybody out. And then I have to go down to the to Crone 2 and just start screaming, it's real, it's real, it's really a fire. And everybody's finally like, oh my God, it is. So we all get out in the courtyard. Now the the firemen got there fast enough that it didn't, like, you know, we had to stay off the third floor for a while. Finally, after a couple hours, I go up there with my bearded dragon, find out those guys whose room was on fire, 
there's just a bunch of drugs in there. So by the time I get up there, they're carrying out like a quarter pound of marijuana. Stop it. And they end up going to jail. No way. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Oh. Okay, by the way, I was elected fire marshal of my floor. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, so I, but guess where I was when the fire started? The library. Was, uh, yeah, right. I was downstairs <laughs> on whatever one, like I was two floors down playing euchre in the guy's room. Euchre. At, at two, uh, yeah, that's when you know my story's legit if I drop a euchre. Yes. And, that's our first euchre was, reference on the podcast, by the way. I that know, is well done. I, I think done. I forgot how to play. We, we need to play. I think I forgot. And so I, you hear the alarm. It's two o'clock in the morning, the Sunday night before finals begin. Which I should have been studying. And of course, I'm up playing euchre with my guy friends. And if you hear, just like you said, you hear the alarm and you're like, no, the alarm goes off every night here. It can't be real. And then they came, the RA comes around and says, it's real, it's real, get out. I go out in the courtyard and I look up and there's flames shooting out of the window next to mine. And I'm like, what? And I know for damn sure that my roommate, Colleen from St. Louis, yes. there's no way she's waking up. And so I'm screaming and sobbing. And I could see, like, we had colored Christmas lights in our window. And the smoke, like, I, I could just see them flickering because of the smoke. And I'm telling people, go bang on 249. She's going to die. The whole floor was, half that floor was gone. So we were all gathered in the cafeteria. Fire marshals come in and say, we need, you know, a representative from the floor to actually come up to the floor and deem it un unlivable, like officially. And so of course that was me. So I'm like, do, 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 walk up to the floor. I'm in two feet of water. I look to the very first room on the right, um, which happens to be my best friend to this day, Julie Levy. I look in her room. There is nothing left. It is charred, black, smoldering. Her TV was melted into something about an inch high. It was the entire half of the floor. I, I just had never seen a real fire before. It was gone. And how about this? This is the craziest thing. It gives me chills. I'll never forget this the rest of my life. I look in a room and I'm, I'm, you know, I can hardly breathe, hyperventilating because there's nothing left. And there's a little table next to her bed and on the table, untouched, is a green Bible. And there's literally everything else in the room is black except this shiny green Bible. So listen, believe what you want. All I know <laughs> is that, is that but the fact that not one girl from that half of the floor was killed, frankly, or at least badly hurt, based on how everything was decimated, black soot, but this Bible sitting there, wow, it was crazy. So I, I will never forget. And it, but it's funny. They, I mean, they had a lot of work to do because it was the end of the semester. And so to get us back into that building by the time school resumed in January, um, I mean, I don't know how they got us back in. The smell never went away, and I'll never forget it. But um, now you can laugh about it because no one died. I, well, I, the, the, I think what we've learned, it's a miracle that McNutt lasted this long. It is. It is. <laughs> but yeah, but I, how cool is it that we both experienced fires? That we were both <laughs> fire marshals in McNutt Chrome. Oh, I, God, I, I've never told that story. That's hysterical. I have two things to say to you. First of all, I was in Foster across the street. We always knew that McNutt were just a bunch of degenerates. Now <laughs> it's confirmed. And two, the part of the story that you're not mentioning is that Bible, when you opened it up, it was actually cut out as a way to hide a marijuana pipe. Oh, my God, I hate you. So you, you just forgot that part of the story. By the way, I wanted to be in Foster because I knew that's where all the hot athletes were. Well, thank you. And Eric. Yes. <laughs> and Eric. That's right. Well... 
All right, so Sage, I want to ask you, um, you grew up a big sports fan, obviously. At 12 years old, you're deciding what your future is going to be. Uh, you are watching all sports. I know you spent time in Colorado, big football state. You moved to Indiana for your senior year in high school, where clearly Indiana is the opposite of a football state. It is basketball yeah. through and through. And this I'm was just, before Peyton Manning. Yes. But I'm just curious as to your indoctrination into what basketball means in the state of Indiana. As a sports fan, I'm sure you knew of Bobby Knight coming into Indiana, the state of Indiana. But what was it like coming to a state and a high school that is a powerhouse in sports where basketball just is religion? What what was that like for you? Well, first of all, having grown up, you know, with with my dad and his tie to Bob Knight, um, you know, again, we didn't we didn't like Indiana because of Coach Knight, because my dad hated him because he thought Coach Knight hated him. Right. And so, but I'll go back to the 1987 Final Four mm-hmm. and sitting in our little kitchen in Colorado watching Indiana and Syracuse. And um, through the years, we lived all over. We also lived in Greece when I was oh, a wow. kid. And so my mother um, was, we're, we're all watching the game, the whole family, but my mother saw Ronnie Cycli, mm-hmm. the Greek god, and and where she's like, oh, we're rooting Syracuse, <laughs> <laughs> and so literally, I was like, okay, oh yeah, he's cute. We're rooting for Syracuse. So I I was rooting for the Orange back then wow. because of Ronnie Cycli, not knowing this is in '87. We moved in '89, right. not knowing that we'd moved to Indiana and didn't know really much much else except that Bob Knight hated my dad. So <laughs> to move there in 89 and then of course it's the to me it was it was the Pacers and it was Reggie Miller. Mm-hmm. And um just the love that the city had immediately for him because he he was 87, right? Is he class of eight? he he was drafted in 87 yes. from UCLA. And so he's only 2 years in, he's a baby. And that's where I really, because that's what was on our local sports every every night, of course, along with with IU. Um, and I was fascinated by the the, the Gene Katie and you know that, that, all the rivalry and all that. I really loved it, but I was focused more on Pacers and then, uh, um, and then Bob Knight and the whole IU thing. But again, I wasn't. I wanted to go back to Colorado. Um, right. Then when I realized I was staying in the state, and I and I, I, I it was again, it was just a really tough kind of hurtful time that I won't bore you with. So. When I decided where I was going, then I was kind of all in. But the biggest thing was was the program and, and how great it was and how, you know, nationally renowned it was. And so um, – and I knew that I wanted to be around that kind of a program in college. So in, in Colorado, yeah, I wanted to be around the football team. That was the plan. Um, and then to move to Indiana, I'm like, this is – arguably the greatest basketball program in America. So my goal is to be around that and to be around that kind of greatness. Um, so I, I came to it late just based on my upbringing. Everybody else that I knew, of course, had been in Indiana their whole lives. And, and this was just, they just knew this to be the end all be all. I kind of had to learn about it. And then once I was in the state for you know more than a year, certainly once I got down to IU, everything changed. And I had never been around a big time program of any kind. Um, when you're moving like that and you're living in Europe, you know, you're not, it's not like you're driving down to Bloomington for the IU-Purdue game. Like, you, you just don't have that. Um, and you don't have a lot of college sports when you're in Europe either. I mean, now you do, but back then we had one TV channel that was English-speaking. And so on weekends it was, um, you know, it was, you know, Lakers-Celtics and it was NBA. And it was, um, 
you know, NFL, it was the Cowboys and the Redskins and stuff like that. So it was a very, I didn't have the exposure in the 70s and the 80s um, that everybody else did stateside and certainly in the state of Indiana. So it took a while for me to figure it out. But once I got there and I went to my first game, I remember almost crying and being like, this, this is what it's supposed to be like. And this is what I want to be around uh, my whole life. Because I, I kind of, I don't know, I think my dad probably introduced this to me, but you know, when he was, when he was playing back in the 60s, nothing mattered. It didn't matter your color, your, your race. I mean, it, it did for him. And, and there's a lot of stories as far as racism that he experienced, especially going on the road. You have an entire football team and there's one black face on it back then. Race mattered. But once the pads were on and you're on the field, it didn't. And so the beauty of sport in that way is what brought everybody together. And he always said, like, politics, religion, race, um, socioeconomic status, like, everything goes away. And so fast forward to Assembly Hall, and when I went in there, and, like, nothing mattered for those two hours. In any sport, anywhere you go, nothing matters. And that was the beauty of it. And that's why I was like, oh, my God, I've got to, I've got to push hard to try to achieve this dream because it's an escape, for everybody, you know, um, totally. and that's what I, that's what it meant to me to go there and to experience it for the first time at a true big time college program and just how you're hugging people, strangers standing next to you when they win. And, you know, I, this is the Calvert Chaney, um, Matt Nover, Damon Bailey, <laughs> Chris Reynolds, that, that, that era, Todd Lindemann and so was Alan this Henderson? there? Was this this was Calvert's senior year? You got there 92, 93 or 91, 92, the final four year? 91, 92. I oh. got there the, the final four year. And I remember wow. just, yeah, being, being in, I, I remember who doesn't remember where you were um, when they, when they played Duke and Todd the, Leary almost refs, bringing us back with the threes. Yeah. When the know? ref screwed us, you mean, where were you when the ref screwed us in the second half and fouled out pretty, our entire team? Pretty, yeah. I remember yeah that. Pretty much. And, and, and God, and remember just the, the, how Bob Knight treated Coach K. That was a kind of embarrassing when he was just so bad to Coach K. It was. And, I mean, you're like, come on, Bob, you're classier than that. But, but so to be around the greatness and the expectation and to know, remember when you had to kind of, you, you were assigned, I don't know how it is now, but you were assigned your games. And oh, you yeah. only got mm -hmm. eight home games or whatever it was. And then you'd get your packet and it was like, you got Purdue, you got floor seats. Oh my God, I'll, I'll, I'll steal money to pay you for those seats. It was such a big so deal. So true. It was like that. I was there just a few years later and it was the same thing. And you would, you would like, you'd hate the left side of that sheet because the left side of the sheet were those pre-conference games, like athletes yeah. in action. You got third row for <laughs> yeah. athletes in exactly. action. Come on. Exactly. And you would, exactly. you would trade, you would try to barter and trade. What, who was your favorite player on that team? Mm, well, I, I've always loved Calvert because, yes. because honestly, he led with such, um, I, I know it isn't a word often used with men, but grace and um, just calm confidence and class. I, 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 I loved Calvert. Um, I will say, I mean, at that point, I'd been in Indiana for a year, two, I guess. I mean, what Who's Your Girl did not love Damon Bailey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? I, I loved Damon Bailey. And, of course, I, I was behind, and I had to learn about Bob Knight and Damon Bailey in eighth grade and all that yeah. stuff. And, um, but 
I Calvert was my favorite, and then Damon, and then I loved Alan Henderson. You yes. know, um, I I Chris Reynolds to me was always just the the, the sweetest guy. You know, I mean, but listen, I liked Strawn Wilkerson. Like I, I liked I liked that was a little bit later, I guess. I I, I like I liked everybody. I just thought they could do no wrong. I did get to know Todd Lindemann a little bit. You know, sure, <laughs> big awkward Todd Lindemann, and he mm-hmm. was just such a n- nice guy. Like it was, um, but they were you guys know they were rock stars on campus. Oh yeah. And I remember being like, I calling my parents and being like, you know, you, you'd get a, just a few minutes of long distance time each week. Cause every phone call cost. And I was like, mom and dad, Damon Bailey is in my sport marketing class. And they're <laughs> like, who? I'm like, oh. Cause no, because they had moved. Like right. as soon as they I got know. into IU, they moved and they, they moved to Kansas. They lived in Kansas throughout most of my IU time. Random. Um, anyway, I, to me, they were all rock stars. Wait, and I mean, I mean, that's wait, a, wait, that's wait, an all star team. But let's stay on Damon for a second. Did you ever uh, talk to him? Did you ever say anything to him? No, <laughs> because you were scared to. Because they were just I was so scared big. to death. Yeah. But I was also again, I was really crazy shy, which is why my parents were like, "You want to do what for a living? <laughs> okay, you that you're gonna have, you're gonna have to talk." At some point, if this is what you want to do, now they they watch they they to this day they watch me every night and they shake their heads. They're like, "Who are you and what have you done with my daughter?" Because she won't shut up. I I will I will say this though about Damon Bailey. This is really inappropriate. Okay, no, Great. go for um, it. Perfect. <laughs> um, one of his old friends from Bedford North Lawrence was Richard Wright, who ended up being a manager, one of the managers for the IU team, I believe, and he was in one of my classes. And he was so, God, this is so wrong. I forgot who it was. Me and a couple other girls ended up hanging out with Richard one, one night. And fortunately, like he was, gen- we genuinely liked him. He was really a nice guy. But he's like, hey, you want to come over? And we're like, he's Damon Bailey's roommate. Maybe Damon will be there. Are you kidding me? So we went over there and he, ba- Damon Bailey was not there. Oh. However, um, we went in his bedroom. You <laughs> <laughs> went to and Damon we- Bailey's bedroom. <laughs> Yeah, and he had a waterbed. <laughs> <laughs> and on the little shelf thing, because you know these waterbeds. I mean, who ha- do waterbeds even exist anymore? No. He had what? these 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 shelves that were like built in above his waterbed, yeah. and he had a bottle of Tylenol on top of the shelf. And I was like, "What can we take that will remind us forever that we were laying in Damon Bailey's bed?" And so I took like two Tylenol pills from this Tylenol <laughs> bottle, like, and I left, and I I saw probably had it for ten years. You guys, how stupid! They, like, and so I'm gonna hold up a, a, a pill and say these are from Damon Bailey on top of his waterbed. Like, what the hell was I thinking? You so were, yeah, I was you, obsessed. You became so fully Hoosier so fast. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. You, it, How lame is that, though? No, no, no al- I love it. You've always been a Hoosier. It just, you had to move there for it to all to click. The, That's the only The only weird thing about that story is that you still don't have the Tylenol pills. That's the only <laughs> awkward thing. I probably do, but I mean, how tacky that the three of us girls were rolling around in his, in his waterbed. Like, so random, it so is, awful. When, 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 when you, you think about what sports do to us, like when you think about, I mean, look, Ward and I are grown men with children sitting in his garage right now doing this podcast because of what the intoxicating aura of Indiana basketball is. And and there's there's a picture of twelve year old me with Calbert Cheney, not five no not five feet from where we sit. Yeah, no, I went down there senior night 
uh, his senior night because it was like, and we can all say this, this was, look, Cody and Vic, that team, I will say that was the last great Indiana team. Yes. Before that, we had, we had, we just had another uh, podcast with Jared Jeffries and AJ Moye for the team oh, that wow. made it to the finals. By the way, there was a waterbed story going on with that team, That's true. too. That was Larry what? Richardson, right? No, no, no. no. Uh, Real quick, it was George Leach. George Leach. George Leach. Oh, he God. also had a waterbed. No, no, no. He just had, had the, the waterbed frame. frame. He couldn't afford the waterbed, so he bought the waterbed frame and then stole all of their comforters and blankets and slept on those just on top of the wood frame. <laughs> yeah. What? Yes. That's what Jared and AJ told us oh about George Lee. Oh, my God. That's great. But that you were there. You were yeah. there for the last, I will say that was like virtually an all-star team. The last great era, for sure. Yeah, the yeah. last great era. And I think that's the one we all look back to because, you know, like those other two teams we mentioned, those were the other two teams that we all thought maybe should have, could have won the championship. You were there with the team that were not for Allen Henderson's knee injury. Yeah. Or refs. Or refs. Or refs. <laughs> you know, one year one thing, one year the other. But I would say that team, your that senior year, Calvert senior year, second only to the 74-75 team in the history yeah. of IU basketball that should have won it all. Oh, yes, totally agree. For sure. But by the way, when I, I I hosted Who's Your Hysteria that year with Vic and yep. Cody and, and that when they were preseason number one. And that was my I mean that was a moment in my life, not in my career, in my life, that I'll never, ever, ever forget. And, and, and it, I was angry at the way that season ended because I don't, you know, I mean, <laughs> that damn zone of Syracuse yeah. that, that we knew, we knew it was coming. And from what I heard, though, I, I won't even say, but you guys probably know, at the end of the day, we weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's not okay. And I think it, it was really hard for those guys to to accept that you know the, ended the way it did when it really in many ways it, you know in many it yeah we should have we should have um, we should have beaten Syracuse easily. Well, and, say and I go say back exactly that. what you're thinking, Sage, because we've probably already said it, and we want to hear it from somebody with some expertise. <laughs> Oh, listen, I mean, sometimes, and I, I had a good relationship with Coach Crean after he left Indiana. Um, I don't think he liked really anybody when he was at Indiana, and he, he was just a stress ball for so long, and that's kind of who he is, um, a method to his madness in many ways. But, but they overthought it, and they weren't prepared for that game, and it's, and it's really too bad. It, really, it makes me sick, and I think to this, it's something that those kids will never really – kids. I mean, these are successful NBA players now. They're men. But um, we, it, was, it, was, uh, it was not their fault. Well, it's funny. Christian Watford, who we just talked to, talked about that, and you could tell when we talked to him about that game the hurt that he still has from that game where he just thinks that it was so overthought and that they yeah. were the number one team in the country, Indiana. They they yep. won the Big Ten outright by winning a game at Michigan at the end of the year. Two top four picks in the yep. NBA draft. They could beat anyone by doing what they do. And instead, what they, do. Instead, and we, they changed yeah. everything to do what, by the way, to do what the team that you used to root for does, Syracuse. Not, yeah. to, not to not to blame just that you for only it. because Ronnie Seifert was okay, hot. I get it. I get it. I was but, always more of a Derek Coleman guy, but oh, I get it. I get where your mom's coming but, from. Well, but, but but by the way, to your point though, I mean, listen, when you are when you have your kids on the practice court, or I don't even know, I, I don't know if I was told they were on the court or going over tape at eleven o'clock the night before 
a game because you're freaked out about this zone, you got no shot because the message you're sending to your kids at that point tells them that you are afraid. So th that is such a shame. And I hate it for those kids. I, I totally. really, really do. Not to take away from what, I mean, hello, nine years. Crean brought this program back in so many ways after IU made some stupid decisions. I'll never, Kelvin Samson is a great coach. We've, we're seeing it again now. But I'll never forgive them for that decision ba based on his track record of what we knew that he brought with him, his baggage. So there's things like that that through the years have made me mad about what IU has decided to do. Um, but but Crean was was really, really good. He cared. He cared in some ways that that game, that, you know, that tournament, that's proof of where sometimes things can be overthought. I think his heart was always in the right place and I'm forever thankful to him, but I'll never get over that game and, and, and I'm nothing compared to those guys. Right. No, we, what, but you know what? True, because players are the ones there, but us fans hold on to these things with such true. I mean, gusto that that yes, we weren't on the court, but it pains me that that Duke Final Four game that that oh. during your time, it still hurts me. That Syracuse game, by the way, I was at. I was at the game in DC. I was living. So in, cool. I was actually living in Connecticut no, at the time. No, 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 not, not the eighty-seven the, not the game. Championship no, the game. bad game, that the Sweet Sixteen cool. game that we were just talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. that one. So it's, it's not awful. cool. Yeah, no. And then I'm like, Eric's... Wait, were you born in nineteen eighty-seven? Yeah. Were you even? <laughs> no, no. I I was seventy-seven. <laughs> so I was. I remember the Syracuse game very well. But so I have to ask you because you brought up hosting Hoosier hysteria. So Sage. This is something I've brought up to a couple people on this podcast to see if anyone remembers. And I, I think it was Colin Hartman was Colin, we talked yeah. to. Mm -hmm. He did not remember it specifically, but he had a vague memory of it. So here is my question for you. I watched both yeah. of the Hoosier Hysterias that you hosted. Great oh. job. Not an easy job, by the way, to host that event. No, and Crean didn't make it any easier, that's for sure. There we go. So here <laughs> is a specific moment. I think this came from the second time that you hosted. I think it was 2014. <laughs> you hosted in 2012 and then 14. There is a moment where you are you're trying to have a like fun relationship with Coach <laughs> yeah. Crane, and you asked him something about wearing the candy cane pants. Yeah, and he freaked out. Yes, w please, please. Like this has been like my Bigfoot. No one remembers it except for me. Please. What was his response? What did I, he say? I, that, I don't remember, but it was like something like, "I'm never going to wear those." It was like something quick <laughs> that was like, how dare you ask him to theoretically put on the candy stripe pants? Do, can you just give me a few, uh, give me your take on what you remember from that? I, 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 both times I remember being like, what? I, this, is, this is the one day, the one night that it's about the fans and all these crazy students and boosters who just obsess over your program and have that place, standing room only, like nowhere else in the country. And to me, it was about, it was about the, the, the students. And I, I wasn't asking hard hitting questions. No. I'm like, I'm trying to, I really, I, I'd never done it. I obviously I was so honored. I was so nervous because of the importance of it. And just again, full circle coming back. And I'm like, so, okay, how about this? The first time I did it, I was on the phone talking to um, some of the people who, you know, getting me ready for it, people on the staff. And I was really excited because, once again, it's about the kids. And I was like, okay. I was watching a game the other day, and I realized, um, I, I guess it had been previous year, I realized that the coaching staff, everybody's hair 
is exactly the same. Like that is amazing. <laughs> Everybody had the slick back, lots of product, hair. Yeah, we Buckley the, for sure, Crean, okay. Totally. And uh -huh. I was like, um, I'm like, wait, this is literally the best hair in the Big Ten. I'm going to point that out. <laughs> oh, no. And so I, I said something to, to uh, no names, to him, and he's like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? I, I'm having fun at students, and I'm talking about hair. Like, t coming from me. I, I have, like, crazy hair that's been made fun of my whole life. We're all good making fun of hair here. And this is a compliment. Their hair, they all got good heads of hair, and it's slicked back. It's hot. And they're like, no, no, no. Do not mention hair to Coach Crean. I was like, <laughs> okay. I guess I'm not mentioning hair. Wow. He's, he was very sensitive to it. So I was just going to come up and be like, how about the best hair in the Big Ten for all the coaches, the assistants to stand up? Because it's about the students. It's stupid, but it's, it's fun, right. right? I was told don't do that. So that kind of gave me an, an, an idea into how careful I needed to be. Uh, I, I, I remember the candy cane part, but I also remember, I don't know if it was the first time when you know, you're at half court. I remember this. Logo. I remember and, it and, well. And I asked him something innocent. Of course, again, this is not like some like breaking news, difficult interview. And he didn't want to answer. And he kept backing up. He and backed like, up like six feet. It was unbelievable for no reason. Got, like he was afraid. Was like, yes. Like no, he didn't I, want to be I, near I, I think I. I think I even said. I, I mean, I showered. Like, why do I smell? Like, what is this? You did. You said what? You don't want to be close to me? What's going on? Uh, yeah, I think I mentioned showering too, and I'm, and then, and, but because at that point, like again, I'm trying to have fun. I thought I'd loosen him up by saying something stupid like, "Do I smell?" And it just—I I have no idea. I just—it was so difficult, and it shouldn't have been. But so the the the, the silver lining—it's like he's—he was just so intense. He cared so much. Sometimes, though, I think in life, I talk about this with my men. I I have three teenagers, right? My youngest, as of Saturday, is 13, and wow. it's like it's so hard to. He, it's hard to let go of caring about what other people think. Mm. And as adults, much less kids, right? And and Tom Crane is not alone in caring what other people think. He, he, it is. It's a real struggle. But I remember leaving that going, man, that was more difficult than it, than it had to be. And, um, and, and then I thought, you know, okay, God, what are those, what are those kids experience, you know? And then it, you go up to the, to what happened against Syracuse. So a big picture is I remember coming on to half court when they introduced me that first year and literally tears in my eyes choked up, could not believe that 20,000 people are standing up cheering me. <laughs> and I'll just never, ever forget. And then I brought one of my, I think I brought my youngest actually to that one and she got to help judge the dunk contest and i think she gave vic like a five <laughs> and and she was like i mean so how old was she in 2012 so she was six years old i mean she was a baby and six or seven and so i remember him coming up to her like what <laughs> and so and now um so her favorite player for years was paul george mm -hmm, um, sure. for the pacers and then i hope that's did, over now well it, it she she was heartbroken because it's not what he did it's how he did it yep um, both. And I think really, it's both. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, I'm okay. I hated it, but I'm okay with free agency is what it is. You want to go get yours. But to do what he did and to leak it out and to say, I want to go play for the Lakers, you screw your team. You, you mm -hmm. screw the franchise. You the screw the future in, in, in many ways. Yeah. So, um, and she always loved Vic, of course, because he came over to her after she gave him a five on his dunk. Um, and, but when he ended up coming to the Pacers, so that's definitely her guy. The best part is that Victor Oladipo, as we all know, is. 
such a great human being. And what he did that night when he took the mic from me and was singing to the crowd, that was the best. Like yeah. that's who Vic Oladipo is. And that's why Hoosiers, that's why he's a Hoosier for life. I don't care that he was in school in the DC area. Like he, he defines Indiana basketball and the class with which he lives his life and does things. Um, I'll always just be so thankful for him as a human being first. Well, and, and I think Indiana is so it's woven into the fabric of the state, of course, of the university. And when you have a Reggie Miller who spends his whole career there, and I know it was a different time, but at the end of the day, he was a pacer for life. And then you have Vic, the adopted Hoosier, who then through those circumstances come back and so fully embraces like, this is my city. This is my state. I love it here. I I just, I think that that when when I watch Paul George now, I'm always going to have some resentment there. Both what he did, like, I'm sorry, I, I'm blind to the fact of like, yes, you want to go back to where you're from. All right, well, then that means you're not one of us. You're not one of us. And, <laughs> and, and I get why, but that's why you're like, you're no longer a somebody I can root for. Because now any feelings I had for you are double on Vic because he also went to Bloomington. No, totally. I, th- I think with Paul, I mean, he, a lot of these guys don't get good advice, whether it's from their, their agents or in many ways, it's their parents or their uncle um, who, who is on the payroll, you know? Um, and it's, it's really tough. It's no excuse because I think at the end of the day, people know better. But I, I trust me, I'm with you with the loyalty thing. And it was a different era with Reggie. But you know what? Um, there's a way to do things. Anthony Davis is a great example right now, who is a wonderful kid, despite where he went to school. Yeah, exactly. He is a wonderful <laughs> human being, sure. and I just love him. But he is not getting was not getting great advice no. back when you go back to January, February with with the whole trade thing. Because again, what that does to the franchise, to people who care about you, to with Paul George and how how the Pacers treated him during and after the injury. And, and, and the love that they showed, not that that doesn't mean he, he can't go do him, do it, but there's a way to do things and people get blinded and blinded by money. And it, it does, it breaks my heart. I, I, I'm trying to separate though. And I, listen, at work, it's really hard. I have to separate that stuff because sure. there's a true business to it. There really is. But at the end of the day, there's, a, my dad said this all the time. You might've heard me say it before. And I know I said it at the commencement, um, harder, right versus the easier wrong yeah and there's just and it's it's easier to just say me 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 I, this is what i want and i'm gonna go do it. what what about the fans what about the coaches what about other people who have helped you get there so that's i think that's what we need to um you know all three of us are parents like we need to we need to get out there and and teach our kids to do it the right way which is sometimes the harder right well, so true it's and also you, and you said everything happens for a reason and we got vic out of it so i'm not mad for sure, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting on not to go on a sidetrack here, and I want to get back to Bloomington in a second. But professional sports, I read a book a long time ago, written by Bob Costas about baseball, trying to his plan on how to fix baseball when salary, you know, mm. there's all kinds of talk about salary capping baseball and all that kind of stuff. And and he made the point that when people talk about professional sports and professional athletes, owners and athletes, they talk about. Some people will take the tactic of, well, it's just a business. So you got to go get as much money as you can and blah, blah, blah. And Bob Casas's point is in professional sports, you cannot look at it like regular business because of this. 
it's not a zero-sum game in professional sports like it is in business. For example, Microsoft back in the day did better when Apple didn't do better. It was good for Microsoft when Apple did poorly. It is not good for the Yankees when the Red Sox are bad. It is good for the Yankees when the Red Sox are good. And I think the same thing applies to athletes. Yes, you should do you and you should get the most that you can get. But you're in a unique position where other people's lives are affected by you for better or worse. And yeah, I agree. I think you have to just take it into consideration when when making decisions. No, I do too. And here's the thing. You can go back to, I mean, maybe this is a, a random example, but, um, you know, what, what's your priority, right? And, and, and then how, how badly do you, do you want to win? I mean, uh, Carmelo Anthony, when he decided to stay in New York and not go potentially to Chicago with uh, Thibodeau and, you know, just a, a franchise that was certainly on, on the way up and, and doing good things versus the Knicks, he stayed because it's New York and the money, right? Yep. Um, and instead of going to a place where he'd still, uh, I don't know, make a little less than the eight-figure salary that they, he still would have been in the eight figures. <laughs> right. And, you know, life is good, right? Mm-hmm. But but to him, other things were, were more important. And I understand, um, I don't know, I... I I try to be empathetic to the business part of it because I know too, and you guys do to an extent, right? I mean, we all do to an extent that you do have to take care of you because no one yeah. else will. And I am in a one of the, God, I love what I do. I'm fulfilling my dream as you know, but it is one ugly business. And I have truly had to look out for myself and make some tough decisions along the way in order to survive because I found out the hard way that no one else does have your back. But Again, there's there's a way to do it, and I'm trying to do it. Yes, for me, but I'm trying to do it for my my kids and the example that I'm setting, um, and and other young people who want to come do this, who have this dream. Not not a, an athlete who's going to make a nice seamless transition to the broadcast booth or to Sports Center, because uh, that's different. But someone who has to kind of climb yeah, that whole way and grind and be told no and fall on your face a million different times and get back up and want to quit and be embarrassed and all those things, get back up and keep going. And then loyalty does matter, um, but it is a fine line. And that's why, listen, that's why I have an agent. I hate having an agent. I hate paying an agent. But I also know that my agent in particular is the best in the business, and he's going to take the personal side out of it because I can't do that. Right. I don't have this, the skills to not make it personal and not be like, okay, I love you. I'll just, I'll just take this. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I have to have a, a shark go in there and get me everything possible because this is a small window of opportunity for me, right? So I'm not speaking on both sides of my mouth. I just think that it's, it's a very, very fine line. But you have to have the right people around you representing you for the money, for the obvious part, the business-wise, but also – for how you're per- you're portrayed, and 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 your your name and your family values, because you have some of these agents we don't even need to know. And I'm talking on the the sports level, the athletic level. Um, I don't want to be associated with those guys. You know. Yeah, I also think that in the end, look, I work in the entertainment business, and in the end, it should just be about being honest and transparent, truthfully. Like what bothers me about a professional athlete is when they take the big contract from somewhere else, leaving the team that was loyal to them, and then claim it wasn't about the money. If it's yeah. about the money, just say it. I mean, like I would respect anybody who says, I've got – look, you you guys in the business world have like a 40-year career ahead of you. I've got eight 
And yeah. I'm going to get as much for that eight as I can to provide wealth for my children and their children and create a new life for my family and generations to come. That's what I'm doing. That I'd be fine with that. I would root for that person. And there have been a couple who have said, like, yeah, I just did it for the money. Great. God bless you. That, then let's just move on. But I, just own I, it. I agree. But I feel you on the, the, the needing the advocacy as an actor in Los Angeles. It mm. took a manager to come in, and there was a show that wanted me to come back. And I am so grateful for any opportunity, much less sure. a job. I'm like, yep, let's go. And he's like, did, did, did. They want to pay you the same as last time. Like, great. Somebody wants to pay me to act. Great. He's like, no, 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 no. They have lots of money. They've decided they want you to come back. You're worth more to them now. Yes. So let's get it. And I'm like, are you sure? Don't risk it. Okay. Yes. Okay, go. Uh, I guess go say that stuff to him, but just make sure they don't take the job away. You're just so, you're just so ground down and so grateful for when a break happens that you lose a sense of your own self worth, and it takes somebody else to give it to you. And Sadly. if you don't, then you are setting a precedent. And then the next offer, because these guys and women always find out what you're making elsewhere. Yep. And then, 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 so you're actually screwing yourself for the future too. So you, you have to step out of it and hope that they're the professionals that they say they are and that you've heard of because you're not there with them behind closed doors or on those phone conversations where the negotiations are potentially getting ugly. Um, and there just has to be such trust. And it's, it's really, really, it, it's scary, but we have to do, listen. Our, as you know, I mean, Eric, in this in this business, there's just I, I could be done tomorrow. Yep. Yep. And and so even if with a contract, I mean, I I I've had I had three years left on my contract when um, we had new leadership come in and change up the NBA stuff. And and like what? No, no, this isn't my contract. Yeah, but okay, fine. So found changed things up, and it ended up being even better. And I'm so thankful. But why is it even better? Because uh, number one, I'd like to think that I, you know, had the talent to do other sure. things, but, but sometimes that doesn't even matter. It's based on your representative going in there and fighting for you. And so I'm so thankful now for those changes because I'm in such a better place in every single way, except for where I live. I went from living in Scottsdale, Arizona, working in the LA office a few days a week back to Connecticut and no offense to anyone from Connecticut, but the second I'm done, I'm out of here. I'm going back west. Where, <laughs> I'm going to meet you in L.A. Yeah. Where, where are you in Connecticut? What city? I'm in um, Avon, Connecticut, outside of Bristol. Okay. Oh, so you live very close to the mothership. Oh, God, yeah. You have to, especially in the winters here. So we're suburban Hartford, even though Hartford doesn't deserve to be called a city. Right. <laughs> I lived in um, a little town called Springdale when I, I worked for WWE for a little bit, and yeah. uh, which is right near uh, Stamford and Greenwich. I will say... The seven days a year that it's not snowing, raining, you know, crazy hot, <laughs> crazy cold. Connecticut is beautiful. For seven days. Yeah, no, for I, those seven days. It it's great. It me. I'm looking out my window right now. I, the, the tree, what is it? April, it's tax day, April 15th. The trees still have no leaves on them. <laughs> like, I, I am so, and what happens is that because it's depressing here for, nine and a half months a year, the people are depressing. The people don't <laughs> smile. The, like I, I, I say to my half the time, I'm like, okay, you, you know, with women, like, listen, I know it's cold. It sucks. But like, no, people don't care. You, you got to 
you got to work out every once in a while. Like, be healthy. You got to shower. Let's shave our legs and armpits once. A- Good God. You've got to care here. People you, just, it's terrible. You, you do have, um, I will say this, and it's going to lead us into our next topic, but there is some decent pizza in Connecticut. Some good pizza in Connecticut. Hence, everybody being overweight and miserable because you, they just, that's all they do is eat it. Like I'm sure down in um, down at like okay Mystic and New Haven. Yeah, that's like Pepe's. that's a different country. That's right. down towards New York. We're up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I never made my way. Is up that there. where Mystic Pizza was based? Was that that town? The Julia Roberts movie. I'm not. That's sure. what I heard. I've oh, never been. Yeah, yeah. yeah, makes sense. Are what we, about pizza in Bloomington? Yes, that's what we want to. Your favorite Bloomington stuff? Okay, what what is your what was your favorite pizza then? And is that still your go-to place when you go back today? Um, Mother Bears, right? Yes. Bingo. That's the, I mean, that's the correct duh. answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, well, look, ding, ding. were there Big Ten specials when you were there? Was that was that happening? I I don't remember. Pizza Express. I, Big Ten specials. Okay, Pizza Express for sure. Okay. Pizza Express for sure. How about this, though? When living in the dorm, the best thing ever invented or ever thought of in Bloomington is Jiffy Treat delivering oh, ice cream to your dorm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's totally. why I gained 20 pounds my first year <laughs> at McNutt. Tw- well, like, a 5'11 frame. I'm sure you could disguise that. Okay, but how about this? I went from senior year of high school. Okay, this sounds gross, but I just was a late bloomer. I was 5'10", 118 pounds my senior year of high school. Like, Skeletor. Like, right. blow me away. Yep. And then, then I became a little bit more normal my... Um, my first year at IUPUI. And then I went to McNutt. And by the end, <laughs> by like spring break, my first year in Bloomington, I was like 150 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, again, I'm 5'11". I, I, it didn't look terrible because I can carry it, but I'm also pretty small frame 5'11". Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't weigh anywhere close to that now. Jiffy Treat and Pizza Express and yeah. um oh wait 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 mad wait, mushroom wait, wait, wait. mad mushroom I love mad mushroom no what was the other one that was actually pretty disgusting it was a chain that they would deliver to your to your dorm um oh gosh I'll think of it disgusting like my pizza? parents saw me yeah. what P- you're talking pizza yeah pizza was Papa John's was there that was a big no deal. it wasn't Papa That's John's how I learned about ranch oh gosh but <laughs> honestly my parents are like like they're the coolest best parents ever but I came home and they're like so um. Have you exercised <laughs> at all? Have you been to the hyper? I mean, because I have you been to the hyper? Because I was back, back then. Think about it. Working out wasn't what it what it no, is today. Exactly. Plus, I we lived way up on that damn hill. Yeah, like, that was hard to that, walk down to the hyper because you get back up the hill to get home. Walking home was our exercise. Yeah, that's it. Walking to class at two a.m. Yeah, right, two a.m. Like stumbling home. Uh, all right, wait. So, favorite restaurant, not pizza, in Bloomington? Uh, Trojan Horse. Nice. Mm, that's a good one. We haven't had one. that answer. Yeah, that's a new that's one. That's a good one. Really? Good euros. Oh, to yeah. me, it was good. Because the, the remember, I lived in Greece. Yes. Right. We had the, the Greek food there. Later, okay, how about this? This is a this this was a restaurant turned awesome bar at night. Um, Jay Arthur's. I don't know Jay Arthur's. Nor do what? I. What? No. Oh, okay. Listen, for all the older people hopefully listening, Jay Arthur's, it was where Malibu Grill is right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, Malibu Grill was there when I was there. Okay. Jay Arthur's was just a probably a random, very, very average restaurant that on Thursday night turned into a hip-hop club <laughs> with $1 Long Island iced tea pitchers. Mm. And it was the Hot Leg Sexy Buns contest. 
oh, on boy. Thursday night. Now, I never participated, obviously. However, all the hot guys would go to watch the Hot Legs Sexy Buns contest. And I could afford dollar Long Island iced tea pitchers. That's all I could afford. So that's where we went every Thursday night because it was 90s hip hop, like old school now, right? What, Wu-Tang, J5, Arrested Development? Who was playing oh then? God. Yes. Well, I mean, you had, um, you had, um, um, hello, Notorious. You had yeah, Diddy. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, right? Tupac. But most, I, I think, but you had... The best part was Dr. Dre. Yes. Mm, mm, West Coast was so happening. This is so you see, I cannot believe you missed Hot Leg Sexy Buns at JR's on Thursday. We night. had hot bods at Mars. Yeah. Did you have Mars? Was Mars around? We did have Mars. We did have Mars. But my, my favorite place was the Bluebird. Oh, uh, yes. 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 You know, and I. There, I was a, there was a cover band called Real Eyes um, in the early mid 90s, and it was the best cover band in the history of cover bands and they were so good and they sang i mean everything um melon camp uh janice joplin like everything and on a parents weekend one year i brought my parents <laughs> to the bluebird and they stood in line outside for an hour to get in and i'm like no mom no, you don't understand no, 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 no. I, like that was my obsession i will say i was legal then i actually i i'm i'm actually a felon because i i had a fake id that i literally went to the dmv to get a real fake ID with my roommate's info. Whoa. Same. Same. Wow. Yep. I'm a it. felon. You Don't are a true kids. felon. I, <laughs> I will say this to you, Sage. When when I was there, and Ward was one year behind me, but there was also a cover band playing at uh, Bluebird that is a big reason Ward and I are friends because what? he it has a direct connection to a cover band. The name of that cover band was Jack Fife. Sage, Jack Fife was actually the greatest cover band of all time. I'm not. <laughs> but here's why. I'm Hold not on. Gonna, I'm not going to blame you for not knowing that. They formed after you left. But what you need to know about Jack Fife is that my wife was the lead singer. Oh, my God. You're <laughs> so kidding. We actually met in a theater movement class that took place over in Wilkie. Uh, yes. But she invited me, and I was so intimidated by her. But she invited me to the Bluebird to see her sing in her band. And Whoa. that was it. I mean, it was a love at first sight thing, but then you go to the Bluebird and you have some 10 cent beers and you watch <laughs> your future wife sing. It's, I mean, like they did a lot of like uh, um, uh, Joan Jett. They did, yes. They, but they also would do Wu Tang. Like they were very eclectic in their in their sets. But I was done, and now we have two children that we've realized we probably won't be able to afford to send to Bloomington because of how expensive <laughs> it is now. But we'd like to. Well, but but how cool that you. I mean, I imagine I understand why you're intimidated when this this beautiful girl invites you, and she's on, she has the confidence to go on a stage. And sing. She was like, bad that's big ass. time. I remember going to that thing, and Ward and I weren't that close then. We knew each other from some theater classes and stuff, telecom classes. But I remember seeing his then girlfriend on stage with a leather jacket and just kicking ass, singing, put you know uh, that Joan Jett song. I love rock, I love and, rock and roll. And oh, that okay, that's hot. And totally. all I could think of is she's with this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And, and she has stayed with this idiot. Yeah, huh? really makes no sense. That's the thing. That's the thing. So We're all dumb in college. So Sage, cool. favorite bar? Bluebird, right? Bluebird, uh, Bluebird is it? Bluebird, Bluebird always was, but my 21st birthday was Kilroy's on Kirkwood. There we go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep. Mm -hmm. I remember the bar, I remember the booth that we were sitting in. But listen, I was the, 
I, I was such lightweight. I mean, I didn't have I, my first taste of any alcohol was uh, in a Dixie cup beer at the Acacia frat house. <laughs> nice. My best friend at Indiana is an Acacia. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but two, I had like two best one and a half Dixie cups and I was out like such a loser. That's great. Uh, but I have to ask you about another restaurant that, that has a, I think very near and dear, uh, spot in your heart, which is the Colorado Steakhouse. <laughs> Yes. Which, by the way, is the restaurant that my parents, when we would we would drive from St. Louis to Indiana to Bloomington, Colorado Steakhouse was a staple every single yes. time because of one thing: those biscuits, Bloomin' onion, the, oh, the, the biscuits. biscuits. Oh my gosh! I, I like yes, the. Well, I, that's another reason why I got fat there because when you go back <laughs> in the kitchen, you eat the biscuits. What about the mushrooms in the cast iron skillet? Those were, oh my God, they're insane. So I would have the mushrooms on top of my medium rare prime rib yes. with au jus. Yes. <laughs> and the brownies. So whenever yes. stuff would get screwed up in the kitchen on the weekends, um, let me tell you, I was a damn good server. It's quite possibly my, my favorite job of all time was serving at, at Colorado State, at all time, Colorado Steakhouse because- Over it, hosting I, I, sports center? <laughs> okay, so, it, so it's 1A. <laughs> it's 1A to sports center, but because- like I, it was just, I, it was the first time I made that kind of money where right. you're, you're, you're going home. And I mean, a Saturday night, a good Saturday night. And again, so this is like, I am 93, 94, 95, a good Saturday night, like a football weekend. I'm walking out of there with 300 bucks cash. I mean, for a college, now granted they're all in ones and I looked like I'd been elsewhere. You've been, you've been at night but moves. Night moves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I took it, but I took such pride in that job. And um, I honestly believe, and I'm going to make my kids do it too, everyone should be a server at some time yep. because it was people were so awful and rude at times, and then they were so great. Like, I, but, but it actually changed my life because that's where I met Bill Armstrong, who, who the late, great Bill Armstrong, obviously Bill Armstrong Stadium, um, president of the IU Foundation, like I met him waiting tables at Colorado Steakhouse, and that changed my life. So it's a great lesson in, in humility and biting your tongue when you've got rude customers who are bringing their personal problems in and taking, taking it out on you, and, um, and also just being on it and accountable. And then also you never know who you're dealing with and who you're going to meet. Always be kind. Always be professional. And if I hadn't been, because all the other students that were working there that day didn't want to, or every Tuesday he'd come in and order the same thing. And he was a little bit of a difficult customer. He always wanted his salad a certain way and add this and take this off. And, and then he, he's older. He wanted to sit and talk and nobody had patience. I sit and talk to him. And then months later, he, he told me who he was and asked me if I wanted uh, an internship. And that changed my life. So you never know. But let's go beyond the internship because there's another thing that happens once you leave Indiana that Mr. Armstrong helped you with, if I'm not mistaken, for one of your first jobs. Correct. <laughs> Yeah, first of all, I couldn't. Um, I, he helped me get an internship um, at IU for the second, my final semester, and a thousand dollar grant, um, which was a lot of money, um, even with the cost of tuition and stuff. Then again, military salary for mom and dad, thousand bucks, we'll take it. Um, but then when I graduated, I really wanted one more internship to get hands on, and he called the people at Wish TV to get me in there, just to have my back and say what a hard worker I was and. Um, and so they got me and that's when I was interning with Mark Patrick and 
Dick Gray and those guys. And then when that was up and it was an unpaid internship, lived with some friends in Carmel, um, some family friends. And then uh, I started sending my tape out. Back then you're on VHS tapes. So you yep. dub it down to VHS. I had to go to Target and buy 20 VHS tapes which were I didn't you, have the money to do. Were you doing like three-quarter inch tape to three-quarter inch tape, then you had to dump it down to VHS? It was three-quarter, beta, I'm trying to think. All the like, the good stuff. The the good stuff. <laughs> and, th- and then later we got it to DVC Pro, right? But anyway, yeah, it was, this. God, we're old. Yeah. So you're dumping oh, yeah. it down. And, and I, I was editing and doing everything on my own, so I could do it. I just needed a little assistance so I could afford to buy the one photographer one beer to thank him for helping me out. But just the postage to send out these tapes to, 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 you know, news stations all around the country that cost a lot of money. And then I wasn't getting any calls back. And I, uh, I, I got one from Grand Rapids, Michigan and they're like, well, yeah, but you know, you're, <laughs> you, you don't have any experience and what's the old thing. Well, how do I get experience if no one gives me an opportunity? So I called Mr. Armstrong and I just asked for advice and he knew the GM of the station in South Bend WSBT the CBS affiliate, and he knew him and said, um, hey, listen, she's really green. Um, and that was a bigger, I mean, that was a medium-sized market of the 200-some markets. That was like 85. Yeah, that's South a top 100 market for a young person. That is not to- an easy gig to no, get. It doesn't happen. Totally, totally in over my head. Um, but they, because I was so green, Mr. Armstrong's friend, Jim Freeman, created a position for me called a news trainee. So they gave me a one-year deal and said, come on up. We'll teach you um, for one year and see how you do. So for that year, I was going to do three months as a photographer, carrying around those 40-pound, $30,000 cameras. Um, Then as an editor, um, writing slash producing and reporting. And so I got about eight months in and I was doing all those things and it was such crucial info to have and experience to have, to be behind the scenes, you know? Um, but I, someone called in sick one day when I was a writer on the show, I mean, writing little VOs, like, you know, news stuff too. So school board meeting in downtown South Bend that got a little heated, you know, a car accident, (laughs) um, you know, bad weather, uh, when it's, Oh, it's December in South Bend and we have cold weather breaking news. Right. (laughs) So, so like I, one day someone called in sick and they needed someone to go to do the, the Greek fest, a live shot from the Greek fest in South Bend. And they sent me, and that was my first time ever on TV. And the rest is kind of history. I continued to produce. I was in, I ended up producing the 6 PM news in South Bend with Cindy Ward. And I'm trying to remember who the other anchors were, Deborah Daniel, um, Luke Scott. I forgot his, no, not Luke Scott. Anyway. Um, Producing hands-on experience all because Mr. Armstrong called a friend and had my back and said, give her a shot. I think she's going to be good someday. What if I hadn't sat down and talked to him every Tuesday at Colorado Steakhouse and, and took time for this older man that was that made, made a lot of us uncomfortable in many ways. He was just, he just kept talking and talking and I was like, hey, I got to go. But I didn't. It's how I was raised. And so such a beautiful lesson in just doing the right thing and being kind to everyone because it shouldn't matter who you're talking to. Right. It's the human being. It shouldn't matter what his title is or how much money she has or whoever. I remember Mellencamp and his dad would come in there. One time he gave me a $100 tip on an $18 lunch. 
Yeah. Um, I am glad um, to hear that because I had been told by servers at the Malibu Grill he was not a good tipper, but maybe the problem was they weren't good servers. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm still really tough on them, and if and if I don't get good service, which happens a lot, I mean you're in New York, you you just never know, and like I I am not difficult at all because I get what the job is. However. If you ignore me because you're in the weeds, at least come over and say, hey, so sorry I'm busy. Be right there. And they don't. Not only do I not tip well, I put a note at the bottom of the credit card slip. <laughs> I'm evil. Because guess you are what? Rough. You are rough, Sage. No, you're but trying to help why? them long term. No, but no. And more importantly, I'm like, I'm like wait a minute. I, yeah, you think you deserve 20%? <laughs> Hell no. It took you 20 minutes to come say hello. So here's the thing. It's not just some cheap woman who doesn't have a tip. No, no, no. It's actually someone who doesn't have a tip. And so they can ignore it, but then their boss sees it because I put it on the bottom of the credit card slip. Mm, yeah. And then I'm kidding. So I'm evil, but I, I expect <laughs> good service. But then I'll give you a 30% tip if you if you're really good yeah. and do your job, trying to, to encourage it. So Colorado Steakhouse changed my life, you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. So I want to draw a line from Mr. Armstrong through your career, obviously to South Bend. You then moved to Tampa. You then moved to D.C. But I want to draw a straight line, basically, from Indiana University helping you to then you getting the call with the offer that had been your dream to go work at ESPN. For many people, this would be just the pinnacle of their life. I mean, this is a dream that you had set out for some 15 years earlier. You knew this is what you wanted. ESPN is the behemoth. You get the call. It's time to just jump both feet in, head first, take the job. But that's not exactly how it happened for you, right? Correct. Wow, you did your research. This is (laughs) impressive. Um, I turned it down. First time I got the offer from ESPN in 2004, um, I was really pregnant with my second child and I had a 21 month old at home and I went up for the audition and it just, it was fine. I just, I would, had been told by several people, including, um, my dear friend, Stuart Scott, who I think of every day and, um, miss terribly. Gosh, we need him. No <laughs> I miss him terribly. And, and we had the same agent at the time. Obviously, I was way down on her list of priorities compared to Stuart Scott, and as it should have been, I guess, because he, I was so green still to get to ESPN, and he was Stuart. And he told me, he's like, listen, don't come to Bristol. Don't come to ESPN unless you're ready to go in 110% because you will get eaten alive. And it was the best advice I could have gotten because I was still – I was having a baby, and I had a baby at home, and I wanted more. And so I took a chance and just said, I'm going to wait. And my agent was like, are you insane? Um, Even my family and friends were like, wait, 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 wait. This has been your dream for as long as we've known you. What are you doing? But my parents, I mean, I come from, I have the best parents who taught us that family first. And how was I going to be able to be the best mother possible to these three babies ended up having a third, but three kids in less than four years, you know, and, and how can I be the best mother possible if I'm totally freaked out and stressed out and on the road and and working in such a high pressure place like ESPN. So I just took a chance and, you know, they're like, okay, you're never going to get an offer again. 
ESPN doesn't need you. You need them. That's what the mantra was, you know, and that you're going to get blackballed. And to me, it was worth taking the risk. And so I signed another three-year deal in D.C. I was at Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic covering the Ravens. I, 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 was, I was the 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. co-host of our main show there, Sports Night. And then, um, and then I got to do the Ravens on the side, which was a, uh, was a requirement when I took that job in 2001 is to have an NFL beat. Um, and then that time they were coming off their Super Bowl, and it was just a, a great time uh, in Ravens did your history. Did your brother work there? No, initially he did not. I came in 01. He came in 02. Oh, okay. Um, and he came from the 49ers organization. He had interned with the Ravens back in like 98. Um, and he just finished his 16th season as the vice president of public relations for the Baltimore wow. Ravens. And, and he came because I was pregnant with my, like he took that job in 02 because I was pregnant with my first child who will now be 17 in May. Wow. And, um, and, and he, my brother is I'm quite biased, but I'm also really freaking hard on him because I'm the big sister and he is so good at his job. And it was amazing. So to, to, to turn down the job at ESPN to be around my brother a little more because we'd been separated when I went to Indiana and they moved to Kansas and then he played ball at, at Winthrop. Um, we hadn't been around each other for years and years. That was a big reason why family first. Um, wow. And so I signed a three-year deal and I stayed at, in DC. And then three years later, they called back and, and, and it happened to be a better offer too. <laughs> That that I love that story. I, were I'm curious in that moment if you were tormented by the decision or because your priorities were so straight that you knew family came first. You had your brother there. Was it was it an easier decision for you to make than I think everybody on the outside would think? Um, yes and no. I, I it ended up. I just knew it was the right decision. Right. Um, harder right. The harder wrong, right. Yeah. Right. Going back to that from my dad. And I knew that this was a, I thought that this was a test. I thought God was testing me, um, right or wrong. That's how I looked at it at that time. Um, like, okay, you've always preached family and, and now it's money time where you, like, I knew deep down I wasn't ready. Pre kids, I think I could have done it, but that changes everything, right? Sure. But but trust me, I was scared because the advice I was getting um, from others and from my agent at the time was um, was you got to go. They because for years leading up to that, they had said, "Yeah, we like her. She's not ready. She's not ready." For them to finally say she's ready, and for me to say no, that took some. You know what? That and took so, some right. stones. And then it, but, but it has to be so empowering at that point. It, it, uh, not really, because in I hindsight. was afraid. I, in hindsight, for sure. But I was afraid they wouldn't call back. But I thought, sure. fine, it's worth the risk. Because no matter what, I'll never regret putting those kids first. I'll never re you'll never regret that. You might wonder, but for me, I would never regret it. And so for it to then happen three years later, um, and, and now that it's been 12 years, February was my 12-year anniversary and 12 years of – I don't know how many different jobs and roles I've had there. So many ups and downs. So many amazing, wonderful, humbling, insane moments. Um, I was talking about the other day with my parents when I was getting ready to, to leave the Masters and just – that was my third year at Augusta. And I'm tr I was trying to think of what I haven't done now. And sometimes it's, it's, it's a little overwhelming because I'm like, listen, I've worked really, really hard. So have a lot of others worked really crazy hard. And why me? Why has this worked for me? I, I don't know. Um, but I do know that I never, ever take any of it for granted. 
some people might question that because I'm, I'm pretty passionate at work and I say what I feel. It took me probably 40 years to get to this point where I'm not afraid to say, to stand up for myself, stand up for what I, for what I think is right in the show. We have a lot of arguments. I mean, hey, but it's all in an effort to make the show great. And every single day you start over, you start from scratch with every single show every single day, which is beautiful in many ways because um, you have to put the past behind you. But how many people get to say this was their dream from when they were 11 or 12 years old and they're living it and I've lived it for 12 years? Well, the other amazing thing I think that I'd love to get you to to talk a little bit about, about your success and the run that you've had there, which has been just incredible, is that you're also not a stranger to some controversy over the years. That there have been some moments where, because of how strong you are, because of how confident you've become, you've spoken your mind via social media at times and gotten some blowback from it. And I'm just curious what that has taught you over the years and how you have dealt with that and how your giant corporate you know, boss has dealt with you speaking your mind on your digital and social platforms. Uh, yeah, that's that's been difficult and challenging and awesome all at the same time because what's come from it has been quite difficult for me and for my family. Um, but man, I'm a lot tougher than I thought. And because of it, I can I can handle so much more than I thought. And the funny thing is... <laughs> I'm, I was or was or am or whatever have been at times, quote unquote, controversial because I think a little bit differently from the masses. And it's funny because the majority of the people who, who are really controversial consistently, I mean, th- what they have done and said is so much bigger than what I've said and done. And I, to me, I just had a, a, a couple of years there, maybe max, um, where it was perceived to be whatever. And but it cracks me up that what I, like, I've never, ever, ever once said um, who I voted for. Right. Because it doesn't matter because I'm a sportscaster. I'm not on CNN or Fox News. And, and, and by the way, it shouldn't even matter if you're on those networks because you're a journalist. But every, think about it. Everyone else in the media who said stuff, it is very clear who they voted for. And it's usually one side. And so if you are perceived as thinking differently and being on the other side, especially if you look like me, a female of color, watch out. And so the double standard that I learned about and experienced firsthand, which included as, I mean, as ugly as it gets, death threats to me, to my children, um, is insane. But you know what? I I really wouldn't change it. Bring it. it. It really showed the hypocrisy of society and in particular the hypocrisy of the media where they want you to speak your mind if if what if you believe what they believe and what they think we are supposed to believe based on what we look like and that's where I'm, I call BS and I'm th- I, like bring it I'll, I'll, you know frankly I don't even go there on social media anymore because these people aren't worth it um, and I don't need that from them I don't need any kind of confirmation but what they have done by attacking me is exposed who they really are and that they actually aren't quite as open-minded and diverse and accepting as they claim to be. And, and I would say specifically, uh, not to get into all the specifics, but for anybody who wants to to go back and look at a little bit, I, I suggest Googling Sage's Facebook post that she made, I think in 2016, about diversity, yeah. where you lay out your personal story 
and what diversity means to you and what the true definition of diversity is. And again, it is not the cliched, crackerjack, you know, uh, fortune cookie definition of diversity that we've all been told by uh, so many over the years. It's a very nuanced, intelligent discussion of diversity. And I loved that you didn't shy away from it. You put it out there. And then you kind of let the rest of the world do what they wanted to do with it. I have to tell you, I was a big fan of yours well before that. We love that you represent Indiana well. But when I saw that, I was like, well, there's something more to her that that made me even prouder to call you a fellow Hoosier. Wow. Well, I can't thank you enough for that because um, I didn't hear much of that after I posted that. Sure. And and actually, that was the the real turning point where it got crazy ugly is when I put that out there. And and the 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 quote unquote funniest part of that is that the hatred that came from that post, the majority of it came from people who look like me. And that was what the shocking thing was and has been since that time. Um, Again, hypocrisy, right? When people claim that they are accepting and diverse and just want equality, but then I don't fit that mold because I'm proud to be biracial I'm not just African-American. I'm, I'm pretty sure my mom was there too. And my Irish, Italian, white, beautiful mother is part of the reason why I'm on this earth. And so I'm proud of, of both races, of, of all of my background. And, and a lot of African-Americans didn't like that. Um, I, 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 I just, I, I'll never, ever bend on that even though they've wanted me, people have wanted me to bend on that. But for them to, and, and then God forbid, I married a white guy too. So, um, you know, again, if we truly believe in acceptance and diversity, then it shouldn't really matter. And that's the thing, guys. I grew up in a military background where color really didn't matter. I mean, in all these military bases across the world that I lived on, they were the most diverse places ever. So I didn't understand um, this racist attitude. What I really didn't understand is when it came from African-Americans, and that was the most hurtful part. But, like, I don't care anymore. I know that I'm right. Actually, a lot of things you can have an opinion on, but I know that I'm right by saying um, we should be accepting of everyone, not just the ones who we agree with. And that means diversity of thought, not just the obvious D words with race, gender, sexual orientation. Yes, but also diversity of thought. And until you are, I don't have time for you. Well, and it's, it's so binary in today's culture where you're this or you're that. And it's so hard to have any sort of nuance, right? And so to be able to get in there and really say more than a 30-second soundbite and and have people pay attention and really think on it, it's harder than ever in the Twitter age. And I think, you know, to segue into the state of Indiana basketball now, a lot of people say we just lost a very important in-state recruit because of social media and as a mother of three teenagers and as an Indiana fan and as somebody who's lived through social media controversy, like how do you, how do you one, like protect your children from this brave new world we're in? And two, could you speak some sense to the Indiana fans who say unpleasant things on social media towards players and coaches? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't change what has happened to me with, with the public stuff, even though it was quite hurtful. And when stuff came out and people turned things into insane stories, and I'd have my, my daughter who was at her, her freshman year of high school, um, or maybe she was eighth grade, I don't remember. She she uh, came, I was actually at the master's, so it's exactly um, two years ago. And she called in tears because someone at school saw on social media that I had been fired from my job, which in actuality, it was, I had gotten a, a contract extension and, and more everything. And it was awesome. But because some people on social media didn't like me, they turned it into something else. And so when your daughter calls you crying, scared to death about your family's future, you're like, wow, how irresponsible, right? So, but guess what? You can, you can choose to wallow in that or you turn a negative into a positive. And so my kids see the power of social media, the very ugly side. They also have seen the positive side because I believe there are positives to it as well. And, and I like Instagram is my favorite because it tells a quick story with a picture because I don't have the attention span to write some long thing on Facebook and who cares? Twitter can be so ugly and to me, I use it more for news. But, but my kids have seen the good and the bad. So I think they realize and they're pretty careful um, with how they do it. Um, obviously, they're young. But the one that'll be almost, she's almost 17. She, she's experienced a lot. And so I wouldn't change my crap. Them navigate it. They know that. Uh, as far as fans, you know, come on. Just, just, you've got to get a life. That's the big picture <laughs> thing. Like get a life. And remember that these guys are humans. They're kids. And I, I just, I hate that. First of all, though, I mean, I try to put myself in the shoes of, of a parent of a recruit. And that's really, really difficult because you're, you're, you want them to make their own decision, but you're also a parent. You want to protect them and go to the place that they're going to feel most comfortable, be most successful, but also be taken care of. You don't want your kids. Listen, when all my stuff went down on social media and I'm in my early to mid forties, I mean, my mom and dad were devastated. My mother used to call and say, or text me and say, Sage, go on, go on your Instagram and delete this. Like the one, the one post that turned everything upside down. I mean, there were thousands of terrible, disgusting, ugly threats, et cetera. And my mom was like, Sage, go, go delete it. I'm like, mom, I'm not deleting anything. Hmm. There's no way, because then it makes it seem like it didn't happen. When or, actually, or like they won. Or that they won. And I'm like, go ahead. And I, you know, after a while you quit reading it, but I will never, it, it, it's, it's my truth. And so to delete it makes it seem like, yeah, it didn't happen. And let me tell you, the book is going to be really good someday. I cannot wait because there's a lot. And it's not about woe is me. It's about, okay, look, this is what happens. How do you choose to deal with it? I haven't dealt with everything perfectly for sure. But, um, you know, I, it was fascinating to see my parents so upset and so protective. So I can't imagine when you've got an 18-year-old kid is deciding where to go to college, which will dictate his future, where he's going to go to college, where he's going to play ball. We're a little, I would like to think that Indiana fans are a little classier than that. I would expect that at some other schools. But when we go there, shame on us. And that, that's embarrassing. So we've got to get back to, I know it's been a tough couple years, but, but give me a break. We are better than that. And these kids deserve better. But we're to the point, yeah, where look, they're, not choosing Indiana. They're not choosing IU with all of our history better than anyone else's in the state. So what does that say? At some point, we have to look in the mirror. And that isn't just the university and the athletic department and the coaches. 
that's the fans too, because we dictate a lot and we're better than that. So I I want to get, I agree. We are better than that. Few rotten apples. Uh, there are a few rotten apples, but let's talk about the whole, because you got into a little bit of IU uh, hot water just in the last couple months after the double overtime game that Indiana played against Wisconsin. We had lost 12 of 13 games coming into that game at Assembly Hall. Wisconsin was ranked in the top 20. Our season surely looked bleak, like we had no chance. And then somehow, on a nationally televised late game, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time start, Indiana goes to double overtime and beats Wisconsin in kind of the first moment of really the conference season where it felt like, wow, we we pulled something. Yes, we had beaten Michigan State on the road. That felt like a fluke. But here it was like, wow, we, we're playing a little better and we beat this team, and many of the fans didn't stick around to see it. And you, on social media, were very critical of that, and you have two big defenders of your position in Ward and I. What was what? What is your take on that? What bothered you so much about that? It just is so foreign to me. Like, I, what do you mean? You're you're leaving? No, <laughs> this is important. Like, there's there's. There's, there's no excuse. Here's the thing. I got a lot of the, well, some of us have to drive back up to Noblesville because we have work in the morning. And lame, yeah, I get that. Lame. Yeah, yeah. I get that. First of all, my parents couldn't afford tickets to things like that. So I say, once my money is given to, <laughs> to tickets like that, you're damn right I'm staying to the end. I don't care if it's four o'clock in the morning. Right. That's just what you do. And that's what you do as a fan. But secondly, you tell me, are the, are the fans at Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Syracuse, anywhere else, Yukon, are they leaving early because they got to go to work? I mean, I don't see that when I'm watching those nationally televised games that also have a 9 p.m. Eastern time tip. If you're the big boys, if you're the big dogs, you're on at nine o'clock. And don't we want that? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and the networks pay attention to the atmosphere. Trust me, right? College game day. I mean, there's there's a reason why they're always at Duke and North Carolina. It's annoying to many of us, but as from the business viewpoint, I get it. And so we're trying to get back, we're trying to get our program back. Are you kidding me? Who leaves Assembly Hall? So so I will never back down on that. And again, it's because that's just not what I'm used to. That I don't believe that would have happened back in the day with Knight. I don't believe it would have. And even in the greatness during that run in 2012, that wouldn't have happened. So, so that, I, I don't know. That's actually an interesting point because uh, this is what I wanted to ask you about. For all of Tom Crean's uh, shortcomings, of which there were many, not not the least of which was his sensitivity about his hair, but, <laughs> um, but there were many, and clearly there were enough that made him not the coach of Indiana anymore. But one of the things he was really good at was the enthusiasm, the over-the-top personality, the branding of Indiana basketball. The clapping. <laughs> the clapping. But he, <laughs> he brought a... Um, joy and an enthusiasm of Indiana basketball back to the program in a major way. And I heard an interview with you recently, I think it was on Dockage's show, where you talked about like when you are a program that you want to be at those upper echelon, the Kentuckys, the North Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kansases, and where Indiana had been historically, and we still see ourselves, and we see ourselves as having the potential to be back there. 
that you need a coach that has the personality big enough to handle that. Yeah. Tom clearly had the personality part of it down. I don't think there's any yep. there's he had a big personality. There were other things that rubbed people the wrong way. Archie seems to be in many ways the opposite of Tom in the personality department, but maybe way above him in the basketball acumen department. We don't know yeah. yet 100%. That's what we've been told. But what is your take <laughs> on Archie as it comes to the personality and what Indiana needs? Are you worried about that at all? Well, I, I met him once. I met him last fall when I was on campus. Um, and he he almost intimidated me at first because he, he was quiet and um, definitely, you know, pensive and just very... Uh, Kind of standoffish for sure, and I get it. I'm media, da, da, da. but it only took a couple minutes, and then I I tried to crack some jokes, and <laughs> some went over, some didn't. But but like he, he loosened up, and I saw that that other side. Um, I have to trust the people who are there who rave about him and how he treats the staff, how he treats the people in the athletic department. You know, not just the players and his fellow coaches. That matters. Um, and, and I think that that's something that we had lost a little bit the, the few years prior. Um, and so I, I, I don't feel like I'm even able to fully judge him on that yet. I do think his basketball acumen is, like you said, uh, hey, he, he's got the genes and he's shown a lot so far in his career. But um, I wasn't the one actually that when I said that on Dockage's show, and I was actually worried afterwards how it would come across because because I didn't want it to seem like I'm, I'm criticizing Archie. Someone at ESPN, one of our um, analysts, had said that they really believe that Indiana needs someone like, you know, I hate to say, but like a, like a Coach Cal, someone who's bigger than the program, just because of that personality and obviously how it worked with Bob Knight, different time. But you look around and every program that is that is perennially successful has someone who is, you don't have to say where he's coach of. You can just, you say the name and you go, oh. And so I don't know that that's true. I thought it was a really interesting take from the guy who told me, um, who, who has been in the industry forever and ever and knows what he's talking about. It's his opinion, but it did make me think, you know, it, is that a thing? Is that real? Is that necessary at any program? But you could look at, I mean, Coach Cal, Coach K, well, Roy Williams. My question is, what would it be necessary for? Because in my mind, I have no doubt if Indiana is in the thick of the Big Ten race every year, is getting to the tourney every year, mm -hmm. and has a real chance at the Final Four in, you know, a lot of years, you know, a top ten program on the court, I don't think it matters at all all what his personality is but right. does that personality is that required to get right. us there that's with, the question with like recruiting of course you're right recruit see to me it's recruiting it's, it's all it's recruiting rec it's all it's recruiting, recruiting but it's also once when they're on tv and and when they're talking to the media and coach cal good or bad takes over the interview Coach K does it in his own subtle yet very. No, he does. Roy Williams does it. Absolutely. They all take over. And so when you can dictate that and you say things that are soundbite worthy, right or wrong, it matters. And that's what makes SportsCenter. Trust me. It's something I have a problem with. I don't love that that's how things run through the media, through social media, the, the, the stuff that gets the clicks. But they're really, really smart. And that puts their name, their program, their colors out there every day online to millions of people. And so no matter what, human nature is what? 
that that's what we pay attention to. And if I'm a mother, and the mother's the most important when you're recruiting, right? Yeah. If I'm a mother and I'm paying attention to this and watching Sports Center and watching these college basketball shows that are, you know, specifically focused on just that sport, if I'm online, if I'm looking anywhere and I see the same names coming up and speaking eloquently and commanding the, the attention of the entire room, and then they come to my living room, there's no way you can't be affected by that. Should, is it the end all be all? No. Are there more important things? Yes. But does it have an effect? Absolutely. So I, I don't know if, it, if, if that is what Indiana needs because I would like to think basketball and the X's and O's and, and frankly who you are as a human being matters more because I think Archie has those things. Um, but it was an interesting take that really made me think and I thought about all the successful programs that haven't had you know a down – patch like us it's not even a patch i mean it's 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 like it's a most generation of, it's most of our adult yeah. lives and, and i also think sage to your point that i that i do believe there is a difference between the kind of coach needed at the programs we just talked about kansas kentucky duke north carolina i want indiana to be in that even ucla for example yeah and and then the other programs like virginia texas tech even the ones that have had a lot of success lately that that requires a different type of coach, I think, because the aura around the school is just different. But when you're at a school that has the ability to be elevated, like those handful of schools do, and Indiana is fortunate largely because of Bobby Knight to be in that conversation, then it perhaps does require a little bit more. And we just don't know how much that's going to be a a, a factor in Archie's tenure. And look, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all if the last two years were a little bit better. But I think we're all sick and tired of Selection Sunday coming around and us not being part of it. Well, but you know what I'm more sick and tired of? Because, yes, that's obviously huge and it's embarrassing. And we did as much as everybody can bitch, bitch and moan all year about being in the NIT this year. I mean, look, we couldn't even finish that, you know. It's true. And, and so I, I, we did not deserve to be in the NCAA tournament based on that, you know, that run of 12 out of 13 losing. And looking at times like we didn't give a crap. And so, so that, that's the most concerning thing. But the, the biggest thing to me is that we have gone from where every top player in the state was heavily considering Indiana, if not going there, to the majority going elsewhere. And, and that, that's a big deal. That's where it takes a long time to turn that around. But when you have, I mean, there's a lot of names in that Michigan State team that that this year, that and the past few years that that should have stayed in our state. Um, how about Virginia? How about the national champions? You I know, know. Kyle like, Guy. like right. So they're not even considering us anymore. Not all of them. We no, have some and, good ones, obviously. And to be but fair, it's a big deal. to be fair to Archie, in his two real recruiting classes that he's put together between Rob Finnessy and. And Romeo Langford, obviously, and now Trace Jackson yes. Davis for next year, and Armand Franklin. He clearly is focusing back on the state. We lost a big one in Keon Brooks. Yeah. Um, but what will there's it, a grace period for a, every new Indiana. We just coach. don't know yet. You know, it's like Mike Davis got Jared Jeffries to stay. Eric Gordon came for Calvin Sampson. Tom Crean got 
many great five-star recruits before they started going elsewhere. And even Bob Knight started to lose some in-state recruits. So now it's like, Archie's, it's going to, I think we're going to have to we see have some to results on the court now, though, too, because it's like the the new car smell, the new coach smell is going to start, it's starting to come off. So I think with this coming year, those upcoming 2020, 2021 players need to start seeing a good team on the court to buy into the future. Yes, but also a team that plays hard all the time. Yes. And when you have first halves, like we had a lot this season, even when, and I understand, you know, what was when we there was disappointment not getting into the tournament and then um, come out against, who was it? Oh, the that first, first, the first game the of the first NIT. NIT, uh, and, 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 and he even said, he's like, I knew we'd, we'd be bad in the first half. What? Like, yeah, but that, it like happens so often that, too. Yes, you can't have that mentality. So again, that's where, yeah, it really, the luster kind of, the shine kind of comes off quickly when you have teams or players that don't have the effort. That's when you're looking at the messaging. But he has, I mean, and just like Kareen, Kareen had so much to fix, and it took a long time. And Archie Miller, I really like him, and I think he deserves that time too. The question is, how patient is everybody going to be? And, it's, and listen, I got to tell you, I love what Purdue's doing. I freaking love Matt Painter. How do you not love what Purdue is doing? It Eric does to too. Eric, Eric is madly in love with Matt Painter. I I respect him. It drives me nuts, but I totally respect him. I hate him. it, but I, you're damn right. I'm cheering for them in the tournament because because they do represent our state. But more importantly, I like the way he runs the program. I like the way his kids play, and so and so. I never thought I'd say that. Um, and do I would I send my kid there? <laughs> no. Oh, hell no. But, but I respect, but I respect the hell out of what they're doing. And we need to give Archie more time. But this year is going to be crucial. And our schedule is not getting any easier. Are you kidding me? Uh, by the way, that NIT game, I hate even saying this because the fact that we struggled for a half and maybe a little bit more against St. Francis of Pennsylvania. Oh it's just I can't those words are tough to say. That that feels like a punchline. Like, and so again, when 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 I'm deciding where to send my kid, what what you know, yeah. I'm watching that game and I'm like, wait a minute. They're the top seed in this tournament. They beat Michigan State twice. <laughs> that's right. I mean, we should have finished the season ranked number three, I think. Just for the fact right. that we yeah, beat a final four right. team two that. times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh Listen, Sage, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do have to ask you, you just came off, uh, by the time this airs, it'll probably be about a week and a half in the past, but what was it like being at this most recent Masters, and what was the buzz like for Tiger those first couple days? Um, it, it, just amazing. I, I mean, it's so it's so surreal to be there. I, I never stay... And if you talk to most broadcasters who come to these big events, um, depending on, on what your, your work schedule is, um, most of us don't ever stay for like this, the actual Super Bowl or Sunday at the Masters unless you have to be on air. Because, frankly, it's a lot better to watch on TV when sure. you're trying to follow everything. And it's hard at the Masters. It's hard at any golf tournament. Um, but leading up to it, and I was on air Tuesday through Friday, uh, it's, it's insane. Here, here's some behind the scenes. On Thursday, um, Tiger finished four shots back. Um, and we had um, uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, right? They had the six under 66. And so to me, I mean, they went low on that first day and Tiger was in it. I think it was tied for sixth. But yep. like to me, with those two going so low and hello, Brooks Kepka in particular, having won three of the 
prior six ma uh, majors that he participated in, he's not some schmuck. Like he, he's right there. And we still led the, our segments with Tiger. And, and I was like, no, 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 no. There are other stories here. So we have this argument and I lost um, and I lose a lot. And that's fine. <laughs> the point is, is we, we, is we have these conversations. The reason, and right or wrong, because sometimes I think we do go overboard, what, whatever the topic is, is that Tiger is Tiger, is Tiger, is Tiger. And I haven't seen the ratings yet from Sunday on CBS, but I'm sure they will be all time high ratings because he has just done that. And not just to, I mean, I have friends who are texting me and I saw on social media who have never watched golf in their lives. And then they're like posting pictures of Tiger with his arms up on 18 when he won saying, this is so amazing. I'm like, you don't even know what a golf club is, but, but, but they, <laughs> but that's how he transcends everything. So being around it where everything is a buzz with Tiger is just, um, it's, I'm thankful to be working in this industry at this time with, with Tiger Woods coming back, which I wish I'd been around golf more during his run in the you know early 2000s in particular, um, up until everything changed. Um, I feel that same way with the Golden State Warriors and how these past five years have been just so awesome to be front and center for all their finals. Um, because this is, hey, if it weren't for Draymond Green acting like an idiot, hmm. and I love him to death, back in 16, they'd be potentially going for five straight championships this spring. And so for me, I, I feel so thankful to be a part of greatness in so many ways, but who knew that Tiger would be able to do this? I didn't think it would happen. It's mainly because of his health and his back issues and surgery, spinal fusion. Are you kidding me? The past couple of years. So to be there and be part of it, Augusta, have you, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. It's pretty Never been. Pretty surreal. It's pretty surreal. It's almost, it's almost like it's, I, I whisper everywhere I go, even if I don't have to, because it's, it's so perfect and pretty. Um, it's at the end of the day, listen, maybe people don't like, I would, I would prefer to be at a basketball game because that's where my heart is. Um, but I, three years of it. And I, I'm so, so, so thankful. And to watch it yesterday on Sunday after having walked the entire course this week, um, pretty cool. Uh, I do want to just say, um, you you caused a little bit of uh, of controversy with even mentioning, which is so ridiculous, that you mentioned the kind of troubled past of Augusta. Oh yeah, and <laughs> and it just it it boggles my mind that like what is someone not supposed to mention the history, especially a woman of color who is <laughs> at the Masters, who up until what how how many years 1990 ago nineteen ninety nineteen ninety you would not have been yeah. allowed there. No, I mean, that's where I graduated from high school. It's not like it's 1964. Right. Or it's not like it's when my dad was going through all his stuff at West Point. No, this is 1990, the first time a black man was able to step foot on that golf course. Unless you're a caddy. Unless you're a caddy, of course. And then, it, then, it, then, it, and then the black the caddies were required to be black for years after that. I mean, and then your 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 father must be astounded at at what he's seen in his lifetime from whether uh, it was our the, the last president we had the current Masters winner to his own daughter on television as a sports journalist. That's a heck of a thing to see in one lifetime. It, it honestly, that's where I get the most emotional because I think about my family history. Um, one of the coolest things I've ever 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 done at ESPN, which ends meaning in my career, um, is Veterans Day 2017 when I was at Arlington National Cemetery. And um, my parents happened to be in town, so they came by because they never get to see me do anything in person. 
And um, with my father's military background, we were just doing Sports Center from Arlington, which was really neat because ESPN and Sports Center is so much bigger than just sports. You know, it just, again, it brings people together. And so to be at Arlington, and they asked my dad to come on live to just give context into, you know, kind of what sports means to the military. Um, and he didn't want to do it. My producer uh, begged him and he came on and I'm on live TV with my dad, my hero. The reason why I was so interested in sports as a kid, standing there, trying to hold it together. We're, we're in Arlington National Cemetery, 200 yards behind us. My grandfather, my dad's dad, who was a Buffalo soldier, who wasn't allowed to fight for his country with his white soldiers, was buried. That's where my grandpa's buried. So the pride that my parents feel, it, that's where I get the most emotional because, again, they are the ones that raised this shy, awkward little girl who just wanted to tell stories in sports and to see me doing it, to have him as part of it, and then to see me, you know, be okay giving my opinion and being myself and being okay with the negativity that can come with it, even though that was an innocent uh, comment in the Indie Star that, you know, I will say this, it's amazing how um, sometimes I understand why people are down in the media because that was a very small part of our interview. And I love Dana, but it was a very small part of our interview that of course, you know, the editors take the word disgusting and turn it into right, of <laughs> so much more. And I'm like, no, but the point is I'm so honored to be going and covering it based on the history, even though it shouldn't have taken so long. They've come a long way. You have to celebrate the progress, not just the negativity. And so the history was disgusting, is dis disgusting. You cannot, if you're sane, you cannot argue that. But the fact that I'm doing it and I'm asked to be the one, I, I, I've never seen another black female there, a woman of color on TV covering it. And so isn't that a positive? It was turned into a negative, fine. My parents know that as much as it hurts them to see me going through stuff at times, that I've got this and I'm strong enough to do it. And I, I no longer, based on the negativity of the past few years, I no longer really fear anything. And the key is to not base your self-worth on what others think in any aspect of life, in any industry. And if you do, then you are not going to last long in this business, right? Amen. Like, it's just not happening. So you better be okay with who you are, be okay with the good and the bad, and be okay with standing up for what you believe in when warranted. I'm not going around stirring the pot. My initial controversy back in 16, I guess it was, was retweeting a, a soundbite that ESPN had posted on their Twitter. It was a sports story that I had an opinion on, and that's it. So I'm not throwing stuff out there, and I'm also not criticizing um, people to, you know, to other levels and especially politicians, because that's not my lane. Right. That's a private conversation when you and I are having drinks in L.A. when I come visit you. Yes. And, and, but, we'll, and we'll do that. But I think we tune in. I tune into sports to stay away from those things that cause so much anxiety and yes. to toxicity. And yes, I hate the Patriots. I hate Kentucky. But you know what? That doesn't <laughs> keep me up at night. And and so to be able to turn on Sports Center, to be able to watch the Warriors, you know, as 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 an indifferent Pacers fan who knew without Vic that this season was kind of lost. That yes. that that is my escape. And I will go and get stirred up by other things for many hours the rest of the day. But I, I, I think it's it's a peaceful place for Americans right now to go to sports sure. and when at all possible. And it's not always possible and it shouldn't always be possible, but it is a refuge when our country is so divided that we can still all get into a stadium 
and get along. And that's my job, is to tell those stories and to tell them as, as well as humanly possible, which is why we have these passionate arguments and debates, sometimes in commercial breaks during the show. <laughs> there's a lot of breaking news. There's a lot of things that change on that 6 p.m. sports center. It's, of all the sports centers I've done and all the shows I've done at ESPN, and that's a lot, <laughs> it's definitely the hardest because of the time of day and the pressure and the, the spotlight on it. But we're all perfectionists, and we want it to be great because we want people at home to get the most important information and the best of us. So that, you know, again, so my personal opinion doesn't really matter about a lot of things on, on any of these topics. Um, but I think that that's our job to stay focused on sports. And I'm so proud of ESPN. And we've really gotten back to who we are, in my opinion, which is, which is a sports network. And when unwarranted, you can cross that line and you can go back and forth. The Colin Kaepernick story, I don't think now means nearly as much as it did a few years ago. I mean, he's not playing. He's not an right. athlete anymore. So when he was in it, of course, there's that crossover with politics and sports. But otherwise, I know every single person to a man or woman says, that's not why I watch ESPN. We've got enough places to go for anything else political. And those people do it quite well. They go all in, fine, time and place. And what we do, I'm so, I'm, I'm just really proud of, of, of our new president, I cannot tell you enough, Jimmy Pataro, he's a sports fan who happens to be a damn good executive. And, and that is why I'm, I'm just really proud to be part of ESPN at this time. And you know what? I hope it lasts forever. Who knows? Tomorrow, as I said, it, it can be gone tomorrow. But for now, that's my job is well, to continue to focus on, on sports and giving you the best stories. And we're so proud of you as Hoosiers. And I know it, you, you don't base your self-worth on what other people think of you. But Sage, we think so much of you. And there's such pride that comes every time you're on air. And even if you can't mention Indiana every time, we know how <laughs> proud you are. We know you're vocal about it. You know, and and that it's just one of those things, not only like, well, yes, this is what our school and our community produces people, a good people, smart people, productive people. Uh, and, and then in the back of all our minds, we're like, you know what? Sage is really great for recruiting, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, please use me. But that's, it's been cool the last few years. ESPN's kind of chilled out with allowing us to. Um, let on about who, who we root for, where we're from, which thank God, because for so long it was like we weren't allowed to, to say anything. You have to be journalists. And I'm like, wait a minute. None of us are even in this field, in these jobs, if we weren't fans of someone, some team at some point. And as a sportscaster, of course, your, your, your allegiances aren't going to go away. And it, and it humanizes us. My, my co-host, Kevin Nagandi, he is as Philly as they get. It's obnoxious. It's nonstop. <laughs> I mean, with the Bryce Harper, with the Phillies, and then the Eagles the year before, and he's a temple. It's nonstop. I'm like, shut up. But guess what? I, and I give him a hard time. Like, I love it. And it humanizes him. It humanizes me. Right before the first NIT game, I was um, on SportsCenter and I yes. went to the New York studios to do it with Keith Olbermann. And I gave my IU sign at the end of the show. I know you like, did. I loved it. I, I have to because that's me. And that's I'm so, 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 so proud. Um, I'm just glad that ESPN has, has let us do that. And so, yeah, I'm going to that's really the only thing that IU and the um, and the Pacers and some cult stuff, too. Um, that, those are the only things that I really am vocal about. Um, because again, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you guys and everybody back there, not everybody, most people realize where I consider myself from, where I consider my home now. 
sounds cheesy, but when you're nah. an army kid, like I, I just, like I said before at the beginning, I, I didn't really have a home. Um, and that's where I consider home now. I, I got to get back to campus more. I'm only back once a year or so. And I haven't been to a game, a basketball game in, I don't know, five or six years. It's terrible. I'm desperate for the football. I'm so desperate for the football program um, to, to continue to make, you know, forward strides. I love the swimming. Wait, I love wait, I'm sorry. King. Did you just say continue yeah. to make forward strides for the football yeah, program? When, when did that start? Yes, uh, I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying. I know. And people no, people no, get no, on me. Look, Bill Mallory really got things headed in the right direction. Yeah. There's just been a slight delay over the last people, 30 years. People get on me on social media for uh, for being harsh on the football program. I, it's like, look, I don't know how any other way to approach the football program other than with a sense of humor. So that's just what I'm going to do until I, they start No, winning. I'm trying. But but what do you do? And again, we're, 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 we're considered a basketball school. And now we're, we're kind of, okay, what are, we're a swimming school. Yeah, like what, soccer. <laughs> Or soccer. soccer school. Soccer, baseball's been awesome. Tracy yeah. Smith, mm-hmm. who was the coach there, and now he's out at Arizona State, where I, I just moved from. Um, there's so much good. I don't want it to be just basketball. I think that's my point. I really want us to be known for everything, including being a damn good academic university. So I, I'm, I'm going to get back more. We should meet. Should we meet yes. at we're going to do Nick's? Let's do yes. an event. We're going to do a Hoosier Hysterics uh, little extravaganza this fall. Are we should serious? work with you to, to figure out if there's a date that works for you. <gasps> You guys and do are, that together. I would love. What do you mean? What would you? What we're going to try do? to build it around a game. We're definitely going to go to the game, but get then some we're going to get some get, players back. We're going to get a restaurant like a Buffaloes or a Little Zagreb's or somebody to like oh give us God. the space. We're going to welcome Hysterics fans. We're going to bring in some former players. It's going <gasps> to be a big deal. You have to let me help. Okay, Done. we will do it. Done. And and oh Sage, I want to echo what Ward said a little earlier. We live out in Los Angeles. You're obviously in Connecticut. If I'm walking on the street in L.A. somewhere, if I'm at Third Street Promenade or at the Grove or wherever, Universal City Walk, if I see somebody wearing an Indiana shirt, an Indiana sweatshirt, an Indiana hat, I stop and say something to that person. It is the the tie that, that binds us. And Me too. And seeing you every single time that I see you on television – makes me feel so good and so proud and connects me to this Indiana family. And I just want to thank, I want to thank your father, your mother for giving the world you because (laughs) it, it has been a joy to watch your career. And I want to thank you for choosing to take the harder right and not the easier wrong with your life and your career, because it, like you said, nothing happens by accident. It has all led us to here. We are so happy to be able to talk to you. Like Ward said, we're so proud of you, and I don't mean that to sound at all condescending. No. We just, we love what you're doing. We love your connection to Indiana. We love that we're all, we all share the same home. And we can't wait to meet you in person. We can't wait to continue to follow your career, because you're going to continue to do bigger and better things. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us two idiots for two hours. So much no, time. Wow. Such an honor. No, it's such an honor. But I, I want to tell you, I was in Croatia this past summer. And I was, I mean, literally on some tiny ancient alley with this tour guide. It was the most amazing thing. And I look and there's this guy walking towards me with an IU hat. And my husband's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Leave him alone. And I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, hi. Did you go to IU? And we started chatting. And then he looked at me and he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and, 
and, and I didn't even, and my kids are rolling their eyes. They're so embarrassed. Cause I'm always, I about tackled the guy. I'm like, I'm in the middle of some city. I can't even pronounce some ancient town in Croatia. Some city with no vowels in it. Just no, a yeah, lot of exactly. No, no vowels. All kinds of, and this guy, and, and I, I ended up, we had mutual friends who went to high school together and I'm the same way. I'll never, because it is different. It isn't, not everybody goes around with Indiana hats, especially out where you are, you know, and even right. here, people on the East coast are so snooty. They're like, where's Indiana? It's flyers day, you know? So I'm so damn proud, but you don't understand what it means to me to hear that from you and just know that I will always, you know, I'll always be honest, good, bad, or ugly, yes. um, about anything, basketball, whatever. Um, but my heart, will always be there. I'm pretty sure I have one, my oldest, one of the three convinced to go to IU. Yes. Um, yes. Well done, mom. I'm trying, but I'm going to be devastated if she can't stand McNutt because it's being torn down. <laughs> you you don't want her <laughs> to get black lung. <laughs> hop over to the palace of Foster. Disco Foster, Harper, we're all like, no, 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 because she is adorable and a good athlete and fun. And I was a nerd. She's so awesome. And she would... No, there needs to be an all-girls dorm. Is it still there? I need her to stay away from all those key boys. <laughs> well, I think Foster Harper used to be all-girls, but not anymore. They they made it, I think, co-ed by Floor now. Isn't it? Is it Eigenman or something that's like, all, no, or oh. Wilkie that's all-girls now? When I, I was there, Eigenman used to just be all the like uh, Asian students were at Eigenman. They were the really smart computer or, kids. Or the married, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so no sorority. Maybe I'll just move down there with her. Yeah, just get her and, an apartment. I mean, go. come on, get her. Hey, Varsity Villas, baby. That was my home too. <laughs> we are honestly, and that's called what now? That's oh, did um, they change the name of Varsity Villas? Oh yeah, it's oh, not Varsity that's Villas. Sad. That's it's sad. it's not nearly as trashy, which breaks my heart. I know that was so good. That was good trash. Spe speaking of a place that should be burned down, <laughs> Varsity Villas. <laughs> no, it's a criminal that they even charge this rent to live there. They should have paid totally. us to live there. But right. it was so good. You guys, thank you so much. I love you. I, th I cannot wait to meet you. Thank you for caring so much and for representing us way out in LA. I'll right back at you. Thank you so much, Sage. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. We're still rolling. We're right? still rolling. Um, wow. I mean, it's already been like, oh, two hours or so. Over two hours. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the so longest let's keep one ever. This wrap up short. Okay. But I mean, I love her so much. She's just incredible. I mean, like, we all had crushes on her just watching her on television, right? Oh, yeah. But now it's like, Oh, she's just the coolest person in the world. Right? And her love of Indiana just makes her even better. Yeah. That, I mean, that really felt like that just a long lost friend that we were there with. Yeah. And, I hope and, her kids realize how cool it is to have a mom like that. Not, they probably don't now. Yeah. But she's give probably them, annoying to them. Give them 10 or 15 years and they'll realize. She's just great. Her stories about the connection between her father and Coach Knight. Just incredible. Really? Because I was going to say, do you have a memory of Coach right. And I was like, I did not expect her to have like an incredible connection going back to West Point. But look, I think we're 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 in a place now where we're committed to doing an event back in Bloomington. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, after well, Eric and I had been talking about we're doing that it. We're and doing thinking it. we should do that, but now we have no, to. No, no, we will do it. We will do because, it. It's going to happen. Because we're gonna, anybody who's listening to this will be invited. Yep. Uh, and apparently Sage is going to help us co-host yeah, it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right. Well, look, this was so much fun. Uh, hope you're enjoying the podcasts. Please follow us uh, on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. No, uh, no vowels and hysterics. Find us on Peegs every time we post. Uh, otherwise, you can find all the best information about Indiana basketball, Indiana sports on Peegs. You should check it. 
10, 12, 15 times a day. And we will be back at you soon. Bye. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.